Hello and welcome to Boss Door, the final threshold beyond which games must face their final and toughest opponent, the Critical Gaming Public. My name's Ross, and I'm here with my co-host, Joey. And today we're going to be talking about Earthbound, or Mother 2, for those of you who are correct. <laughs> Everyone knows there's Earthbound. Yeah. You were confused about this going into it, because I kept talking about Mother's... I don't know. Every time I talk about Earthbound, people are like... Get confused with Mother 1 and Mother 3 and how yeah. else it's... Yeah, like, I'm, I'm aware of it, but I was like, was Earthbound the first one? Like, nobody ever talks about... <laughs> the first one nobody, that matters. <laughs> yeah, nobody ever talks about Mother, you know? Yeah. So they talk about they talk about Earthbound, and I'm like, so is that Mother 1? But then there's Mother 3. What's Mother 2? And it's Earthbound, so... Yeah, they also just re-released Mother 1, but they called it, like, Earthbound Origins. Yeah. <laughs> and so the house is like, Jesus Christ. Right? It's just un, untenable. Joey, what have you been playing lately? I wanted you to go first. Yeah, uh, I know. It's just the the name of the segment is called Joey. What have you been playing lately? Um, but we don't have like a set. It's not like there's no logo that comes down. We don't have. You don't know that. I mean, I could go first. What, one of these days. Uh, no, I want to go first. I, I got I got games to talk about. So I've been playing um, a few very well known indie titles, but but relatively new uh, for you know some people probably haven't heard of some of these, right? But <laughs> they're very well known known as they are. <laughs> I'm sorry, they're indie games. Yeah. Right? Um. But I like I like all these games, obviously. Uh, but I like what they're what they're doing. Like they're doing interesting things in the in the scene. So I'll I'll explain what I mean. The first of the games a lot of people have heard about. It was at the it was at the VGAs. They talked about it a lot. It was Neon White. Neon White. And Neon White is such a weird game to explain. Basically. You are trying to speed run through uh, through this like high flying gravity defying course, and you get oh I think it's is that the the one that kind of looks like Sonic? Am I crazy? Yeah, you're crazy. Well, uh, okay, sorry. I have no idea what that is. There, there's a game where you run and there's like trees and shit, and it looks it looks like a Sonic but fun, like a 3D Sonic. Oh, I think I know what you you've seen on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, that game is not released. That's just the guys making it right now. Cool. I know, yeah, I know yeah. talking about. It's a free running. Um, kind of a cluster truck situation. Yeah, the thing is, they might have seen that a year ago or six months ago. It's one of those things. Like yeah, I've seen it on Twitter. I just don't remember when I yeah, saw it. Yeah, I actually haven't seen it recently. That's a good point. But I really, I, I like that game. No, Neon White is, a, it's a first person speed running shooter card game. So, <laughs> this is every time you text me about indie games, it sounds like this. You're like, you're like, I could not be any more clear. Yeah. I'm like, I can't even fathom what you're talking about. Uh, the idea behind it is, uh, I, I won't necessarily explain the plot, but you have to run through a course, and that course has a bunch of demons on it, and the demons, some of them, will drop cards uh, when you kill them. And those cards are, you pick them up, and they're a specific weapon. So, like, there's, like, an assault rifle, there's an SMG, there's a pistol, and they, if you left-click, you can shoot, and you can use the bullets to kill other demons. If you right-click, you have some kind of movement ability that uses up the card. And you can have, like, two different weapons in your deck and three stacks of those um so it's hard to explain but basically like it like you pick up a pistol and you can use that pistol to shoot demons but you can also right click to get a double jump out of it and it uses up that card is this all like real time yes okay uh so but what it, what it means is that you the the demons are not necessarily obstacles they are there are small objectives that you have to complete as you move through uh the level as fast as possible you know and the the course is set up so that like like you kill a green demon and he drops he drops uh, the SMG and the right click on an SMG is a is a ground pound. You'll need that almost immediately uh, to go through like a 
a barricade that's on the floor, right? You're supposed to smash to the floor yeah. and then you drop down and there'll be another demon below you uh, that you you land on his head and you bounce and uh, above it is like a, a uh, like a fireball thing. And that's that's got a shotgun and it lets you launch and stuff. So you chain all these different weapons together uh, with their different movement abilities to get through the course as fast as possible. So some sort of like a... First, uh, a sh- uh, shooter car, other thing you just described. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, uh, how how would it describe that? I'm like, I guess the words you used. <laughs> I, I, I know it sounds confusing, but the the idea behind it is that yeah, it was hard to imagine what this game looks like. Yeah, like I have an image in my head, but also it's like because kind of what you're describing the thing is it sounds like uh, railed in a way, right? That you yeah. need this to do this to do that. So does it play like a platformer? Does that make sense? It, it is. It definitely has a, a lot of platforming to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but you know what I mean. Like you're going through the level the same way every time. Does it play like that or no? Uh, there. Uh, so there is no. There is a set path through the level, mm-hmm. right? And that'll get you. Like there's different uh, metals for how fast you go. So like if you if you follow the set path and you do it basically average, mm-hmm. you'll get a gold medal, right? Sure. Um, and then there is a, a developer intended shortcut, right? Okay. In in every in every area, and that will give you a green medal. Oh, uh, and that's the that's that would be a terrible prize at the Olympics. <laughs> you got a green medal. You were the fastest, but you did run across the track. Yeah. The the medal is supposed to represent um the the fastest competitor. Uh, it's the in the plot. You're there's a bunch of people competing, and the uh the guy who's done the the best and fastest forever is is neon green you know sure yeah uh, so you get the green medals for beating his times right but then i learned about this on a youtube video cuz i've never gone this fast there are red medals which are the developer medals <laughs> i didn't even know they existed <laughs> until i watched a youtube and i was like, it was like and then you can get the red medals which are developer times i'm like i've never even seen that and i've gone fast yeah you know but the idea behind it is you uh, the levels are open, so there's a lot of different ways. A lot of times you can traverse through them, and it's really, really fun to chart your own path. You know? Yeah, so it sounds the best way I can try to fuse this from what you're sounding. It it plays like a platformer in my in the se- sense it sounds like because you're trying to go fast. Yeah, you're trying to get through the level as quickly as possible. It has that Sonic multiple level things, but it has that Mega Man weapon thing. But Mega Man's really slow, which just kind of hurts it. So it's like Sonic and Mega Man fused together is my best guesstimate. I guess that's kind. Of, you could kind of think about it that way. Um, yeah, like like what what a Mega Man went fast. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm I, just trying to make a. I'm trying to make a water cooler pitch. I know. I know. Yeah. It, 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 I really have had a hard time trying to trying to think about like how to pitch this game. Uh, but the idea is that is that you start seeing shortcuts, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, at one, you you'll find ways to like where where it would normally ask you to use one of your abilities because every time you use it, the card goes away, right? So, uh, but a lot of times there are ways to to skirt around the objective that you would have nor- normally used the card to get through, mm-hmm. and so you get to keep that card, and then you can use it later in the level to do other things, you know. Um, so, like, one one level, I guess to keep it simple, one level, you, like, you drop down. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> you drop, like, you drop down and you, ke- you catch a, a pistol, right? Mm-hmm. And the pistol gives you a double jump. And what you're supposed to do is jump across and then get another pistol and kill the demon in front of you, jump up to a higher level, kill another demon, get another pistol, jump up to a higher level, and it wraps around in a circle. 
Mm-hmm. But what you can do is as you drop down, you catch that first pistol and you shoot the, the, the demons that are in front of you. You you do a 180 and you uh, double jump immediately and you completely circumvent that whole circle. Yeah, yeah. You just get right up to the top, right? And then you, you've got... Those two double jumps were irrelevant. You didn't need those. Yeah, you know I, I hear you saying. I, I think my analogy works still with this, except for you're like, yeah, but like the fun of the game comes out of like, they really kind of plan the routing in really interesting ways. Yes. It feels creative. Even though it's planned, it feel, it gives you a sense of agency, yeah. even though it's like design shortcuts and, and stuff. The, the thing I like most about it is uh, there is a leaderboard, and the leaderboard's busted because people cheated. Uh, a lot of people have zero second times, you know? Mm-hmm. But there is also a friends leaderboard for people that are just in your seat friend list, right? And what you can do... <laughs> and all my friends are cheaters, so it's not helpful. <laughs> no, I, I none of my friends own the game. I want them to, but uh, what, you, what you can do is can play... I don't know. But what you can do is play against your friends. And you just, you know, you get on Discord and be like, ah, I beat your time on this level. And they're like, oh, fuck you. Let me go, let me go try to get it back, you know? And it just, intro- it's a really good introduction to speed running. Yeah. As, as a concept. Yeah. Um, and it's so fucking fun. This game has 97 levels. Yeah. Right? Plus, plus extra. That's 97 base levels, right? They're incredibly fun, all of them. I was, I was just like, oh, I just want to keep playing this, you know? Well, I'm looking up if it's on Switch, because that actually does sound really fun. Yeah. Because you, you, you I, know me, I, I love that. I actually do think it is. I think uh, it's definitely, definitely easier with mouse and keyboard. I typed in Neon Gen- Genesis and Evangelion came up. Yeah, because that's not the name. <laughs> yeah, ne- Neon Green. Neon White. Uh, okay, I thought I thought it was green because of uh, the guy. The guy is green. The your character is Neon White, so all, all the characters are are called Neons. Um, you're dead people, and you're fighting for your right to get into heaven. Uh, and all the angels are like, are like, uh, you have to kill demons for us because you're all bad people, and whoever does the best gets to stay in heaven, and the rest of you fuck you. Uh, it's it's a it's a lot of fun, but you're all called neons for no reason. So there's neon white, neon green, neon purple, neon red. You know, yeah. Uh, I don't know why they just. It is what it is. And if you did what I did, you could uh, get it for PS4, PS5, <laughs> or Nintendo Switch. People who make this game, contact us. I do think it's on Switch. Um, it is. I just looked it up. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's, it's on the consoles. I don't think X. Well, probably Xbox. Yeah. There, there's there's things like it is a shooter. It doesn't require a lot of you. But you can definitely do things with a mouse and keyboard that you will not be able to do with a controller. You know, just rapid movements uh, mm-hmm. and, and precision aiming and stuff. But it's not going to prevent you from, like, having sort of a maximum amount of fun with the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, there's no way you could go the fastest on a controller. Um, Challenge accepted. I mean, by all means. But yeah, that, that game is so incredibly fun. It's a breakout hit. It's, it's incredibly unique. It basically invented a genre by just mashing up a bunch of other genres. You know, kind of like how, like, Vampire Survivors is a new genre, even though it's kind of a bunch of stuff we've seen before, you know? It's just from a different perspective. It's a bullet hell, but, like, you're the bullet hell. Uh, It's just really, really cool, and I love this introduction to speedrunning. Another game I want to talk about, in the same basic vein, is Roller Drum. Roller Drum is a third-person shooter where you're on skates in in a skate park. I'm not interested you can say 80 more adjectives after that. <laughs> you're like, third-person on skates, that's it? Come on. Uh, but the, <laughs> the idea behind Roller Drum is you are... Uh, it, you're, you're in a future... a futuristic blood sport. So, 
in that arena with you is a bunch of dudes with rocket launchers and flamethrowers and guns and bombs and lasers and sniper rifles. And somehow safer than the NFL still. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to you have to skate around and and take them all out as fast as possible because you are timed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't it doesn't matter what time you get to progress to the next level. You can always progress, but you are incentivized to to get that higher time, you know. Uh, and they they incentivize that in a few ways though. There's different points you can get, and every time you get into the air, basically you can do tricks like like Tony Hawk, you know, like a like. Tony yeah. Pro Skater. You just do tricks, um, and that that increases your score. That's also how you reload. Oh, that's cool! It's amazing. Like I was like, I when I first heard about this game, I was worried it was just gonna be a shooter and uh, a skater that did not mesh. And yeah, it's yeah. like, oh uh, yeah, you can do tricks and stuff, or you can shoot things, but they, they don't like. There's no connective tissue, but you reload when you uh, when you do tricks. So you just you go off a you go off a half pipe. You do a you do a sick you know, kickflip or whatever the fuck you do in skates, right? And it reloads your guns and you take out the guy who's shooting you with a rocket launcher. You're running rollerblades? You can't kickflip a rollerblade. <laughs> you flip the skateboard when you do a kickflip. Yeah, I know. If you do that with rollerblades, that's... Right, I, sa- I said the one thing you... I know, all right? You can't do a Christ air either. It's all I know. Yeah, that's... The, that's the other one I knew. I was going to say Christ air. <laughs> I've played Tony Hawk. Uh, you can grind, though. Uh, uh, the skating grind, not like grinding. They're the same thing. No, they're well grinding in a like a video thing? games. No, oh. like like grinding. Yeah, in the context of video games, grinding means you can grind the like for <laughs> yeah. better scores. And that's again the point is, uh, the game is just naturally fun. It is actually pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only uh, like I've gotten through most of the game, and it's just tons and tons of fun. Uh, it, but it, it's it's another thing that just like brings people into speed running. It lets people experience these high octane games without like putting too much pressure on you to do it, you know, to, to like be perfect or something. You know what I mean? Um, but it also incentivizes like competition. It's like, okay, well I didn't get an S rank. I really want an S rank on that. Cause that level's fun to play and I want to be good at it. You know, I want to fucking knock it out of the park and that's hard to do. So I really, really like that game for it. It's got a cool art style and everything. And it's just like, I can't tell you how how much fun it is because uh, you also have a dodge roll and uh, there's there's a perfect dodge so like a sniper will be lining you up and as soon as his, as soon as the laser uh, turns white you can you can dodge roll immediately and it it's like it's a perfect roll which I think I forget what it does maybe it reloads your guns or something it it does something really useful for you so you want to you want to do it all the time is perfect roll through attacks uh, and it's just there's such a high skill cap to it, but it's such a low barrier of entry, you know, yeah. that I think, it, and it's just, that's what indies are for, you know? Yeah, it's like the fun thing is every time you, like, text me about an indie, it's just like, well, that sounds like nothing else that exists. Yeah. And then, you know, we're complaining with AAA games how it's just kind of a copycat culture. Yeah. Right? It's just like, Last of Us did well, so everyone has to walk and talk now, no matter what the fuck your game's doing and yeah. stuff like that. I guess... I should have said this before. We're starting the indie block now. Yeah, yeah. I was I was transitioning to that. I, I, I should I should have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're gonna talk. We're we're, we're gonna have a grab bag episode. And we're gonna talk a lot about indie stuff. But uh, yeah, we're gonna hit all these indie stuff, and we're gonna have more. I think more thematic stuff where we talk about how they offer new genre, like the value of indie. Yeah. Right now, we do not on every episode these intros where we talk about games we've been playing. 
Ross is always going to bring indie games. I'm pretty sure. Yes. It's going to be, I, you know, and I, and so I'm trying to indulge in that and play some of these indie games myself. I like all these indie games, uh, but there's so many of them, but they're all cheap. Like I can buy six indie games for the price of yeah. like one Final Fantasy. It seems. In, in my opinion, the point of doing an indie block is to demonstrate the value of indie games as compared to the AAA market, right? Yeah. And one of the biggest values, I think, I think honestly, one of the biggest things is that they are less than half the price of any less. AAA yeah, game. crazy. Way yeah, no. less, right? We 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 talked about uh, Hollow Knight. That's a fifteen dollar game. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, that, that's the same. You know. Yeah, it's one of the best games if, I've ever played. If they sell Silk Song for a hundred dollars, I will buy it. Yeah, and I'll feel like that'll be worth it. Yeah, and I've just been playing like Hades and Slay the Spire a lot lately, yeah. and like that costs me altogether less than thirty bucks. Exactly, which is yeah. insane. Like um, because I've already gotten more hours than that than like a lot of you know. Yeah. The most expensive game we're gonna play in this block is forty dollars. You know what is it? It's Disco Elysium. Oh, yeah, I gotta look at them. Something they have sales. I'll check. I'll check Switch. Not on Switch. Well, on Switch, it might be thirty-five dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, but all these stuff have sales. You can just check. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's just Nintendo is legendary for not having sales. You know, I, I found stuff on sales for Indie Block uh, for Indie Block already. Okay, I found Hades was yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they yeah, that is true, but it's usually the core price games, right? It's it's the Nintendo products, yeah. right? That never go down in price. Um, but my <laughs> you can still buy Monster Hunter for four bucks because for some <laughs> reason no one here will play. <laughs> Well, my thing about indie is is really that uh, it's not only it's not only the cheapest option. It's it, like that's the way that's the most bang you're going to get for your buck. You're just going to get all these way more interesting games. Yeah, I was gonna say, it's it's way yeah exactly. It's more like, interesting. It's like I know I know we rag on like God of War and stuff, and it's like probably God of War Ragnarok is like a fine game. It's probably fine. You mm-hmm. know, I'm not. I really don't want to pay seventy dollars for a game that took them like probably five or six years it took a thousand people like five or six years to make and it looks incredible and it's just like the best yeah. i can say is it's fine when i can spend like eleven dollars and buy peglin the peggle roguelike mm-hmm. and have way more fun yeah and, and that's yeah and, and, the, and the thing it's if you just care about graphics like that's what the triple a stuff is about yes. you know but i also would say a lot of these indie games have way better art direction in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, you don't turn on the game and you're like, I can't believe this face looks so realistic. But also you turn the game and you're just like, all the gods in Hades look really fucking cool. Yes, exactly. Oh my god, they're they're incredible, right? The, just their sheer art style. And Hades has like these really, like... We're going to talk about Hades. <laughs> just save Hades. Ugh. Got a whole episode. I've, we've been playing a lot of Hades, so it's just on my mind. Um, but, it, but that's a good transition into the, the very last game I want to talk about here. Which is um, Ultra Kill. Before, if you ask me what the best first person shooter ever made is, I would say Doom Eternal, you know, uh, the most recent Doom from id Software. Unfortunately, published by by Bethesda. People will think Bethesda made it. They published it. They gave it to id Software. They made the best Doom. You know? I'm currently playing a better one. I haven't even played Doom Eternal. What are you playing? Finish your thing. Ultra Kill is an indie game, right? It is... uh, It's super high-octane. Really, really fast. Very hard. But it does have an assist mode. You can always always play it, uh, no matter your skill level. And, uh... 
Uh, the how do I say the art style is very is very weird. It's kind of cell shaded. Uh, it's not it's not cell shaded. I don't know how to explain. It. I'm not I'm not really familiar with like the terms for art styles, but it's got a really interesting art style. But everything about this game is fucking on point. The shooting is immaculate. The guns are incredible. You start every level, you just you literally drop through a shoot and you just you just land. And in front of you is a shop that lets you upgrade your guns. And when you go to the shop, it plays like shop music, you know? And then there's a hallway next to the shop. Once you finish upgrading your guns, you start running down the hallway and you hear uh, you hear bolts going. And then as soon as you break through the door, the music starts, and you're in the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the boss fights are intense. Uh, the rooms are intense. It's fast. It's frenetic. It's truly incredible. Um, it's the best shooter in existence. There, I do not think there's a competitor. I have to talk now. So, uh, we actually talked about this game a little bit before, but I'm playing the better version of it. I'm playing Resident Evil 4 VR. What do you mean you're playing Resident Evil 4 VR? Uh, Duncan won an Oculus in an auction. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I've been holding off this information. I'm so mad, I think. <laughs> yeah, I just started a couple days ago. I mean, we're just doing it whenever we can. Just do it like trading off and making progress. I want to live at Duncan's house now. <laughs> Duncan, I, if you're listening, <laughs> let me live with you. He's like, in February. <laughs> When this actually comes out, I'm gonna yell. I'm like Dragon Ball Z. I'm gonna yell loud enough to rip a hole in time. This yeah. In my- uh, so legit. Uh, uh, next time we hang out at Duncan's, go buy some VR in his VR. We can just play whatever you want. I want to play Resident Evil Four. Oh yeah. Okay. So I haven't done much. Uh, so t- I had two experiences when I first did uh, Resident Evil Four VR. The intro. I can't even describe. Okay. My, I'm still kind of like, I have a weird visceral reaction when I do VR. Yeah. I have had one friend who's had it, and now my other friend has it, right? Um, but I mostly spend the first, like, 45 minutes going, oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Uh, yeah, like, like, I literally spent, like, 20 minutes just, like, not pressing enter into the game. I'm, like, moving around, but, like, just experiencing VR is just really cool in my personal opinion it's kind of an obsession of mine right now yeah and so like it's just so like it's uh one we always talk about like this there's there's space it's hard to find the space for VR but like he has like a pretty normal uh living room uh he had an idea for my friend where you put a rug down Uh and you stand on the rug and that's where you know your space is because so it's like I always get worried that if I VR by myself I'm gonna like knock over all my shit yeah uh but there's ways to mitigate that. A lot of got a lot of easy ways, and uh, at least the Oculus. There's a wall, like an invisible wall, yeah. that you can interact, and you can poke your head outside the wall and see the people outside. Uh, like, like you'll, you'll see like a black and white version of you. Oh, really? Like if I poke my head, uh, going too close to the microphone. Yeah, don't sorry. <laughs> uh, this VR is just no. It's so immersive. Give me a VR microphone. No, um. You can like I, like every once in a while like I'll play I yeah. was playing Resident Evil and I look over and there's just like Justin and Duncan on the couch just watching TV right, so <laughs> just th- ignoring that, everything. That, that must be new because when uh, so when Oculus came out they would basically you could see like a, a blue square around you and that was your space and then they added functionality that you can turn on and off this wall mm-hmm. that um, that delineates your space and, but it didn't have anything on the other side so that's probably a, a function they've added now that if you go past the wall you can see the area around you to some degree, which is actually really helpful. I think. Yeah. Um, I was playing in a literal padded room 
you know? Yeah. So, uh, and we had, we had a fuck ton of space. It, it was amazing. But, uh, so the, I mean, even just opening the game in the intro, it, like, lands you in a church. And just, like, the depths of the ceiling in the yeah. church, it just, like, it changes your perspective. And especially with, the thing about Resident Evil 4 that I think really works is so many people are familiar with it. Yeah. You know, I'm like, my friend has beaten it, like, hundreds of times growing up, you know? Like, a lot of people's experience playing Resident Evil 4. It feels like you're walking inside a GameCube game, right? I mean, there's a lot of versions of Resident Evil 4. But, uh... And that's just something like that, that gives you that sort of like a video game experience. Yeah. So I have a couple of stories. Uh, my favorite is he's not looking at what I see. My friends just see what I'm doing. Oh, you, can, like, you can make that. Yeah, he just work. wasn't. They're yeah. just like watching YouTube as I, right. as uh, someone else Resident Evil's in the corner <laughs> um, or in the middle of the room. So they can see how I'm grabbing stuff. Yeah. Right? So my favorite was uh, I, I, I reached on my chest. And I put my hand out, and Doug's like, that's a grenade, be careful. And I drop it and die. <laughs> um, but, like, your health is a, a wristwatch on yeah. your wrist, like a military, like, I don't know, if you're in the military, I don't know if, if you've had this We experience. didn't have uh, things that displayed our health on our wrists, no. No, 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 but watch, people wear their watch on their wrists because they look at it yeah. easier. So it feel, it's like that weird level of immersion or whatever. Um, but the one thing is, I, Resident Evil 4 is not that hard, but in VR it is, because... To reload, you have to pull the clip out and yeah. pull the gun back. Do the whole motion. And, and I just died a lot. was dynamite at my feet because I was panicking about reloading. Yeah. Or like I'm like, oh, shit, I didn't pull the clip back right. Because uh, I'm like panicking because I'm you know shooting things in the face or whatever. You know, same thing like reloading your, your shot. Like, since reloading isn't a button, it's an action. Yeah. It makes all of these combats that used to be like crazy easy actually feel difficult. But I will say... A different day, I came over and we let Argon do it, and he had no my friend Argon, who I thought was going to have the same experience I did because he's a philosophy major, and to me it's like Plato Cave shit going into yeah, VR, yeah. right? And he was like, "Okay, my gun with this." He's like, "Okay," and start trucking, and like every thirty minutes, you go, "Level clear, cool," <laughs> <laughs> and like was he just like beat like three levels like real quick? Yeah. Um, there's a couple things. We're close to El Jefe, the yeah. boss fight. I'm so the big I'm, cheese. I'm so excited. Uh, yeah, but I keep calling big cheese, but no one seems to know what that is. But I always call him big cheese. Uh, I can't imagine that. He, like, because he's a guy. Like, his stomach becomes like a centipede yeah. in a burning building, and one point he loses his leg and like is monkey barring around. It sounds like I would shit myself. Yeah, and in VR, that just sounds incredible. Like, yeah. it just yeah. And like, honestly, like I spent a good like twenty minutes in VR. Because I opened up a random save in Resident Evil 4. Didn't know where we were. And then just accidentally walked backwards for a while. And, like, that was just fun. Like, yeah. I was just, like, if I was playing the normal game, I'd be like, I just, just walked immersed. all the way back to the goddamn church. Sorry? Just being immersed in the world. Being immersed, yeah. Exactly, right? Um, yeah, like, like a, a good example. Like, uh, you know, me personally, I react in VR to things feeling realer than they are. Um, bear traps. There's bear traps all over the game, and they're fine. You, know, you just lose some health, yeah. right? But, like, to me, a bear trap is scary. I'm like, that is a bear trap. <laughs> um, and you just feel that sense of terror, right? Uh, I'm not sure if it's true because we haven't proven it yet, but uh, Duncan has said he's not experienced a single snake jumping out of a box. Oh. I wonder if they took that out because they're just like, this. there's no way they took that out. They're just like, there's so many heart attacks people are getting. <laughs> <laughs> like, we, we did the studies. Snake scares people they, too much. They better not have taken that out because I want to see that in VR. Yeah. Um, 
So I think it's a better first-person shooter, whatever the fuck you're talking about. The, I'm playing Resident, uh, Resident Evil 4 in VR, you there's, there's obviously a difficulty between VR and, yeah. and your, your, you know, a, a first-person shooter. Um, I'll Okay, so I want to respond, but l- let me... L- the last thing I want to say about Ultra Kill is it, <laughs> it, take, it takes from the... From the old idea of Doom, where Doom just gives you a time at the end of your thing, mm-hmm. right? Uh, this one gives you a score, and the scores are really, really cool. Like, they're they're super fun uh, to mess with, and uh, that's a lot of fun. But, like, Doom basically invented speedrunning, mm-hmm. you know? Because uh, you, could, you could save your... You could save your replays as as demos, and people would upload them to uh, to the internet, and that's what started Speed Demos Archive, which was the first major speed running website. You know, um, for for multiple games, like there at the same time we st- we had like the Elite for Goldeneye, which was probably the other biggest competitor uh, for for actual speed running. But the Elite is still just running Goldeneye, and Speed Demos Archive largely doesn't exist. It's all just become speedrun.com at this point. You know, uh, but that all started with Doom. In their demos. That's why it was called Speed Demos Archive. This game, I don't know if you can save your replays, but it's it's a computer. You can do whatever you want now, you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh. But it, it follows that same formula where you just, you go through the level, you do whatever it asks you to do. Uh, you have a lot of fun doing it, and then it gives you a time and a score at the end, and you're like, I want to beat that time, you know? And it just pushes you towards speedrunning. And, th- and this one is just hard. This is a hard game. Again, there's an assist mode. You can always... You can always play, which is a, a really cool thing. We'll talk about that later in the block when we get to Celeste, uh, which, you know, coined the term assist mode. Uh, but Ultra Kill is easily the best first-person shooter I've ever played. Everyone I've seen playing it online are are either like, this is the best first-person shooter ever, or it's the best game ever, you know? I don't necessarily agree with that, but it's, it's up there. It's fucking great. Because every bit of it is just perfectly designed. It's It's 100% on point, you know? We're like uh, no no minute wasted no no little thing added that like wasn't necessary that you're like oh was that an executive decision you know it's just every bit of the game is tight and perfect. For VR, you've got Resident Evil Four, you've got uh, Half Life Alex, you've got Pistol Whip, right? Three of the best shooters ever. Well, I haven't played RE Four yet. Uh, VR, really you know? weird. <laughs> it's a good well, podcast. Well, honestly, there's such a weight lifted off because this was like. Five days ago, I first got to play it. Yeah. Uh, and ever since then, I wanted to, like, go out your house with a boombox and be like, we can play Resident Evil 4. And I like, just, like, you've just been worth, like, there, I would have told you if you could have come over once, but you just couldn't have. You know what I mean? <laughs> I will take a day off. <laughs> oh, because the, the thing about RE4 VR is it's on the Oculus. It's on the Quest 2. Um which, uh, you know, used to be called Oculus, right? But it's, it's the meta quest now. It's not... Exhausting. Yeah, it's unbelievably be- awful. Because the Oculus is still, like, the Steam thing, right? That's what they call theirs, the Oculus. Uh, but the quest is owned by, by Facebook. <laughs> you know, by yeah. meta. And I don't want it. as Like, it's actually the most affordable and probably the best VR headset you can get. But it... Uh, it tracks your biometrics. It will make a recording of your room and things like that. And it just Facebook doesn't need more of our our money or our, data. or our time or our data, you know. And it's not like it's not like those things aren't going to happen with the Oculus, right? The march the march of money is incessant. But we all I think we should all collectively just say no to Facebook at this point. You know what I mean? 
Meta doesn't need to exist. Uh, we don't need this competition between between VR headsets. We had a chance to not make it a console war, and worse, we've made it a brand war. You know? Yeah. No. That and that's what. So there, that was the thing I was gonna say is the uh, especially going back. I, I haven't done VR in a little bit, but going back, my experience with VR always is this is just so obviously the future of gaming. Yeah. Right. But it is now being hurt by the present of gaming. Yes. Right. Which is the. the They've turned into a luxury hobby, you know, and they made it kind of unaccessible, you know? Like, even the PS5, it's, like, to me, a huge bummer. It's hard to buy PS5s. I know some of that is chip shortage COVID shit. They haven't been making new games. They, in you know, they just, it's whatever it is. Like, how much money does it cost? Like, 600 bucks? Yeah. 700 bucks in uh, Europe, probably? Um, It's just not accessible to every person. Yeah. Right? I bought my PS4 in a Lark. Right, yeah, exactly. but but and I used to say, well, I'm not going to buy a PS5. The prices are going to go down. They're going up, <laughs> right? Yeah. And and that's like the state of the gaming industry is they can they can gouge people because it you know that's the world we live in. Uh, I, and and to me, I always thought by now we would have VR arcades. You could go to a place and buy a room. Yeah, and the technology is there, and, and we just don't have that. And I don't think we're really getting it. I think they're just buy your thing, maybe buy two if you want to play all the games you want to play, or whatever. Exactly. Um, the technology is awesome. It just is awesome. It is so fun. It is so interesting. And there's so much design space for it. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, I listened to a different podcast where one guy's a big RE guy, and he's always like, I don't want to play new REs until I play it on VR. And playing Resident Evil 4 for, like, an hour, I immediately came to that same conclusion. I was like, I'm not touching 7 until I can play it in VR. Well, I'm un- not touching 7. Unfortunately, 4 is on the Quest, but 7 is on PlayStation VR, and I don't even know what 8 is on. Right? <laughs> exactly. But very likely, three different headsets for three different games. Right? The Oculus, uh, this for, for Steam... Too many fucking cooks, man. I mean, to say the least, right? And they're not even making anything. And they're expensive. Yes. <sighs> too, too many cooks complaining about other cooks. Uh, and, and the thing, too, is like, oh, well, I'm not going to but like, this is the VR also thing is like, VR is so fun, but it it is the op. I love portable gaming. It is the opposite of portable gaming. Yeah. You have to sit and dedicate time, right? And it affects your body. You know, it's, sometimes you get dizzy. Sometimes you're standing yeah. up while you're playing it. So it's like, it's not like. Like, sometimes me and Ross will be like, we're just going to play Monster Hunter for the next 16 hours. Yeah. I don't think anyone's really doing that with VR. No. I can, I can never play VR for more than a couple of hours. Yeah. So to get the investment, if you're looking at investment at, like, time versus money, it seems so impractical to get two VR sets, if that makes sense. Yeah. It just seems like... Because well, people, people have... That's the thing. is people. I have a PS4 and a Switch. That doesn't feel impractical. Yeah. Right. But it just does with VR, and I just wanted to kind of make that distinction. Yeah, because the meta, they've upgraded their price to like $400 or something, right? Which isn't excessive, uh, but it used to be like 200 and that's what that's what was super good about it. And I'm like, now i got to pay 400 or 500 for uh f- for Facebook to steal my data just so I can play Resident Evil 4? And it's like, yes, it is a lifelong dream. I say lifelong. It's <laughs> the dream of like the last couple of years. But... What else do I want that headset for? It's not really... It's going to play some Steam games, but not all Steam games. And then if I want Steam VR, that that setup is $1,000. Yeah. 
it's way wow. more cost cost prohibitive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's probably a better headset, and you get access to more games. But I'm never going to be able to play Resident Evil Four on it. You know. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I can play Pistol Whip. I can play Half Life Alex. It's, it's more important than the one game, but it's like, and then I, I've never played RE Seven. That game is terrifying. It's legitimately like a return to horror. Mm-hmm. You know, in a way that they haven't done probably since RE Two, and uh, it's not it's not even that. Like it's it's a different kind of horror. You know, it's being trapped in a house with monsters. I want to play that on VR so bad, so I can just fucking piss my pants. You know. Yeah. I will never own. I don't know anybody that does, and I don't know how to to ever find somebody that owns a PlayStation VR headset. Yeah, I'll I'll likely never play that game in VR, and that just depresses me when I think about it's it. It's a huge bummer, and it didn't have to be that way. Yeah, they didn't have to be console exclusive, but they are just because people these huge billion dollar companies are desperate for more money and they'll hurt us any way they want to get it and speaking of billion dollar companies if we ever want to afford this you we tend to make long podcasts manscape i'll do four hours for you i'll do four (laughs) hours shilling you if you give me the money to play all these things i will i will shave my balls on youtube it's true it's true i will getting word i'm not allowed to do that youtube says no (laughs) Well, they can't. They can only say no after the fact, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Better to ask for forgiveness. All you gotta do is get the, shave your balls alone. You get you get that million views in like the first hour before the <laughs> before the the episode is taken down. You've made your time. I right? don't think a million people are gonna watch me shave my balls. We're gonna have to hype it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Might have to take this one to Pornhub. I don't know. Yeah, Logan Paul. There's a lot of people that like. That like put their streams and stuff on Pornhub now. It's kind of weird, you know. <laughs> like th- there, there's there's a subsection of Pornhub that's not porn. It's just like people playing video games and just ma- basically making YouTube videos. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's extremely funny. Yeah, yeah. It started as a meme, but I think like there's people with genuine following. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, how how many videos do you have to make to get the Pornhub shirt? You know? Yeah. And people are like, do you do porn? It's like, no, I just, I just play vr games and i put it on pornhub and if you're keeping up with our podcast and you listen to our last heavy raincast go go back and listen to it uh we're gonna post a f- washing a filthy cucumber <laughs> on pornhub we already talked about porn a lot in that one yeah um lots of overstatement we didn't talk about porn a lot in our heavy rain thing no we're, we're saving that for uh beyond two souls yeah we definitely have to move on to earthbound now yeah. i knew i knew uh because I blind revealed the RE4 thing. I just knew that was going to be like, oh. oh my god! I'll talk about VR all day, too. Uh, so, yeah. Those are the three games I want to talk about. We will, when I get when I get a VR uh, space, which will be, you know, sometime this year, uh, uh, we will be doing a VR block. Yeah, yeah. You know, we've for, done, we've done sure. a Souls block. It's funny, we're like, we're like, Indie, VR, Dark Souls. The three <laughs> genres. <laughs> Of things. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm definitely planning on doing a VR block. That will be really fun. Um, even though, and I, you know, we're also being honest about its accessibility, right? Yes. Like, that's the thing is like, I think a lot of people are like, well, I would love to play these games. Yes. But I can't. And we and, know and that. The, the, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that because I don't want to just explore the games as VR games. I want to explore VR as a, as a concept and a new frontier for gaming, you know? Um, and that, that to me would be the point of, a VR block yeah. is like exploring it as 
because uh, like you say, it's like the future of gaming, and I I have some doubts about that. You know what I mean? But I, it's something I want to explore. Sure, yeah. You know, in long form. And now I have to somehow make an argument that this Super Nintendo game is just as fun. <laughs> no, exactly. That, like that's the thing. You know, um, it's like yeah, Half Life Alex was uh, incredible. You know, Pistol Whip is unbelievably fun. So is Ultra Kill. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, I will play you know Pistol Whip every day for the rest of my life, but. Ultra Kill is also excellent. I can't play it that much because it hurts my hands. It's so fast-paced. I, I physically can't play it that much. Uh, but I love it. Right? So Ultra Kill, Neon White, Roller Drone, play all those games. They're incredible. The they're all they're all super indie. They're made by just like a few people, you know, like a small team, each one of them. Uh they deserve your money. And Dwarf Fortress, but you already know that at this point. Uh so let's get an earthbound. Cue the music, right? Does yeah, the, the music goes. Oh yeah, fuck. It goes right here. It's easy to look at a piece of art and say, uh, ignore that nuance and just say, "What's the central theme?" But Earthbound just defies your ability to do that. Like it's always funny, interesting, and heartwarming all at the same time. It's comedic. It's serious. Um, it's childlike. It's charming. It's about the curious fundamental thing that we have, which is ourselves, our introspection, our interiors. Did we just talk about Resident Evil 4 bunch of offcast? Who's to say? <laughs> we'll never know. It wasn't recorded. So anyway, let's talk about Earthbound. So if you're not familiar with the game, Earthbound is a Super Nintendo RPG that developed a lot of cult-like status. Because yeah. it's weird, it's goofy. Um, it The character was in the first Smash Brothers game. Yeah. Like a lot of us, I think that's our memories of yeah, it. You is, know... You know, Ness from Super Smash Brothers. Yeah, but you're just, like, that was one of the characters where you're like, Sam is Zelda, who's Ness? Yeah. And then everyone's like, oh, it's this game that, like, what, is awesome. What's a Mr. Saturn? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. there's these things that even if you haven't played it, you're like, I don't know, it just looks interesting. Yeah. And, you can get Starman trophies and stuff, you know? Yeah. And it, it was some, it is popular in America, right? Yes. But, you know, it's... It it's, is a cult following. It is a series that is more popular in Japan because it is... It is a Japanese game making fun of Westerners and making fun of the RPGs of the time like Dragon Quest. Uh, one of the reasons we want to talk about it is it fit, I think, pretty well with our indie block because one of the games I've been wanting to talk to for a long time was Undertale. Yes. Right? Which is directly influenced on Earthbound and will be our next podcast. But I was always like, because Ross hasn't played Earthbound and I haven't played Undertale. So, yeah. you know, uh, look, look at us using our stuff. PB and J. Yeah. Uh, I don't understand your references. I'm a vegetarian. Um. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I'd make it on meat bread. So. <laughs> yeah, who wouldn't? <laughs> it's like it's like a McDonald's sandwich, just two fried chickens with PB and J. That's definitely a thing somewhere. Definitely. Uh, and almost definitely a thing. Like that sounds like an uh, Earthbound you know, thing. You know what's funny is uh, the British people think like PB and Js are gross. Like they don't understand them, but they're like an American 
food. You know what I mean? The, I, I keep seeing these photos of like British breakfasts. Yeah, and, and it, like, it's like it's like half beans and like yeah. onions and you potatoes. You want to like throw up? But uh, that was my favorite bit about that, where he's just like, "What an inconsiderate way to start your day." <laughs> It is funny because it's the British, like the most inconsiderate country to ever existed, to, only to maybe be made by us, the country that they spawned. Yeah. <laughs> um, Earthbound. Uh, <laughs> fuck the British people. <laughs> I want an Earthbound make fun of British people. Um, the, the best thing the British people ever did was was make the American people. And look how that turned out. Yeah, that's not the best thing they've ever done. What was the best thing they did? Uh, soccer. Oh, fair enough. Did they make soccer? Yeah. Jesus. That's always the meme, right? Is uh, Canada makes hockey. is the best at it. America makes uh, football. No one's else allowed to play. So they have to be the best at it. <laughs> England makes soccer. They always lose. <laughs> so I was like, if we ever do Undertale, or when we do Undertale, not ever. I wasn't so skeptical. I was like, we should play this game. I'm like, fuck off. <laughs> We're playing Souls for six months. Fortnite <laughs> only. Uh-oh. I suggest this is in a lark, and I'm afraid you're going to make me play it. I'm scared. I'm going to make us play it. <laughs> that happened with Last of Us. You're like, we have to play Last yeah. of Us, too. And it was just like, I like our podcast, but like none of us had fun during there, there's, there's a darkness in my soul. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's mostly filled with David Cage games. <laughs> Undertale pairs really well with Earthbound, obviously. And it gives a whole chance to do a bunch of indie games, right? Yeah. We've already done Hollow Knight. Uh, but we, he, you know, Ross is always playing indie games, so we have a lot we want to work on. But I also think Earthbound kind of is the spirit of indie games before indie games existed. Yes. And I think there's an idea behind this, and I wanted to cap off the Indie Things with Mother 3, which was never released here, um, because they're games that I think kind of transcend what was going around them in the genres, right? Like, we had Dragon Quest Final Fantasies, and Earthbound is just so different from that. Right, and you get a lot of experiences that are unique, while also just being a game, like just being something that also feels familiar, if that makes sense. So the kind of, if you don't know what it is, the series, there's Mother 1, 2, and 3. You might have heard of Mother 3 because they're always, everyone's always trending every Nintendo Direct because it was never released in America. No one plays Mother 1, you can't play it now on the Switch, uh, because it is dreadful. <laughs> it is an RPG but every step is an encounter, and all the encounters are really hard, and you need to grind a whole bunch. And the game just is very, very tedious, right? Earthbound is really the only part of the series, which is, again, is Mother 2, that got released in America and has a sort of following, and for good reason. Yeah, I think Earthbound plays really well in America, honestly, because a lot of it is because it's very recognizable to Americans. Uh, it does, uh, like, satire uh, American life pretty heavily, uh, especially in the beginning. Um, when it's like, like the police are corrupt and want to beat you up and stuff like that. But the game is also just like generically charming in a way that yeah. is, is honestly, you don't find it in other games, you know, other games like are cute, like Kirby and stuff, but there's this, there's this like almost nostalgic charm to Earthbound. And I, I don't just mean like being nostalgic for Earthbound, an old game. I mean like when you play Earthbound, cause I, you know, I never played it, right? I felt nostalgia for something I couldn't even, like, put my finger on. You know what I mean? I just yeah. felt like it, it took me back to those those days as a kid where I would just play games for no reason. You know, I would just play whatever I what I owned because that was fun to do. And playing, playing Earthbound made me feel like that, where I'm just like, I don't really know what I'm doing or why I'm doing any of it. 
uh, in the in the story of the game. But it's fun to do. I I want to keep playing. I want to keep progressing. And it just, it makes me feel like a kid again when I play Earthbound, you know? Yeah, it kind of reminds me of what I call Quest 64 Syndrome. A bunch of people own Quest 64. It's not a good game. It's yeah, yeah. just bad. But you got people who are just like, mm, I know Quest 64 backwards and forward because it was one of the games I owned. Exactly, you know? Uh, and, like, like these days I could I could probably play, like, Myth with my eyes closed, you know? Um, uh, and as a kid I didn't play Myth, but I, I played Riven, which is significantly harder. It's Myth. It's not Myth. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm saying Myth. Yeah. yeah, I was like, I was like, I think you're saying because, But then I was like, can you play Myth? With your eyes closed, that <laughs> game seems like the hardest game to, to, to do that with. Yeah. Oh, but uh, like Mist is is actually pretty simple. Like the puzzles really aren't hard to figure out. And then Riven is like you have to decode languages. You know what I mean? <laughs> really shitting on ten year old me. Thanks a lot. Ten <laughs> year old me is like I have to play a piano. What's going on? But like when I played Riven as a kid, and I never got very far. I just liked looking at all the pictures and backgrounds and stuff. Like yeah. it was just fun. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even, like, I didn't even know what puzzle games were, but I was having fun doing it, Yeah, you know? And that is just, that's how I feel about EarthBound. I, th- I really think its charm transcends uh, genre, it transcends location, you know? Obviously, it was really well-received in Japan, but I think uh, it's the kind of game that'll be re- really well-received anywhere, by anybody that plays yeah. it, because it has this universal language of, like, charm and childlike nostalgia to it. And, and obviously, you got the most important thing... The Sakurai Smash Brothers bump. Exactly. Got Fire Emblem in America. Thanks, Sakurai. <laughs> you have good taste in games. Yeah, as we end every podcast, thanks, Sakurai. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I was kind of dividing this game into a couple of different things, because it is it is a game, it is a satire, but it's also more, and we'll kind of get to the layers of it. On its surface, it really is just an RPG. It almost feels, at the beginning, very like um, Pokemon. Pokemon, you collect your eight badges, right? You're not catching monsters. But each, the first couple of towns, the first four towns, on it, Tucson, three, yeah. four side, they're just towns in order, and you ha- they tell you at the beginning you're getting eight melodies. So, f- so sorry, f- fun fact, uh, I was just looking up who the creators of Earthbound are, because I realized I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the, the it, w- it was made by two companies, a- Ape Inc. and HAL Laboratories. And, <laughs> the people who make Smash Brothers. Yeah, and Ape Inc., who is now one of the, uh, one of the development team's that make Pokemon. Oh, wow. Really? So, yeah. So, they went on to make Pokemon. Yeah, I mean, that they, 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 they're they a company called uh, what Creatures, Inc. now. I thought it was, uh, ga- isn't that Game Freak? Well, Game Freak is the overall company, and Creatures, Inc. works on Pokemon. You know what I mean? Love corporations. Yeah, and of course, Game Freak is owned by Nintendo, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Who's owned by Shine Hardwigs? Who's <laughs> uh, in turn owned by BP Oil. Yeah. One of the things that always happens uh, before we record, I tend to like listen to a roll of podcasts. I become conscientious of the things they say too much. <laughs> so one is deep cut. Uh, listening to our uh, Heavy Rain, I said objectively a lot. <laughs> She's like, objectively terrible. Like, it's just. <laughs> so I didn't want to say deep cut because it's 30 Rock. It's not that deep of a cut. <laughs> yeah. Surprised you didn't say there's two things you do constantly. <laughs> <laughs> well, goddamn it! <laughs> now I hear it. I do say that a lot. Yeah, I have to edit these, and like, I don't, I don't disparage it because I do, I do the same shit. But it's like, yeah, I, I really tune into how much we, uh, like, our specific speech patterns. I, I feel like it really like brings us in, in inwardly because it's a lot of like, God, we're so funny, and also I hate myself so much. <laughs> like, it's that cross part of brains earthbound. So, uh, yes, uh, structure. 
perfectly back on track. Uh, Earthbound is structured like a normal RPG, and it feels like it's going to be very regimented. Like, you go to a town, town has a prom, solve that prom, go in a cave, you get your melody. It feels like that's going to be the progression for a while. It mostly stays that way. It gets a little more nonlinear at the end. But on its core, it's just um, a normal RPG. Yeah, collect the eight melodies, fight the big boss. Yeah. With a charming set of changes to the traditional formula. Yeah. So, like, the normal stuff is, well, you got to buy your equipment, you know, in an RPG. But you're a little boy kind of in the 50s. Like an, like an American 50s. Yeah. Right? That idyllic white picket fence kind of American town. Yeah. And so, like, what are you fighting with? You're fighting with bats and yo-yos yeah, and plastic shit. Plastic bats and toys and shit. And what are you fighting? Like, dogs and birds. And you know, automobiles. And, and stop signs and... Yeah, crazed ladies who are hitting you with their purpose. Pur- uh, not purpose. <laughs> hitting you with their purpose. Men, men from beyond the stars. Yeah. yeah. Just a, so this is a just vomit like, monster. Uh, and, but the other thing is, it's also a satire. So, you know, in a normal RPG, like all RPGs, you know, you fight enemies, you get experience, you get money. But when you get money in this game, it your dad just transfers it into your account. Yeah. And you never see your dad. Your dad is represented by a telephone. Even in the end game credits, they're showing all the characters. Your dad is just a telephone. Yeah. Yeah. Who you don't see, he just gives you money. And he gives you way too much money. A fuck ton and of money. And I know it's on purpose, because I'm playing Mother 3, and yeah. money's bounced in Mother 3. Uh... <laughs> This game, they chose not to balance it. I'm yeah. almost positive. They're it's, just like, you just open it and you get way too much money. It's, it's so funny when you're, like, halfway through the game and, uh, you know, you go through, like, a whole dungeon or something, right? Because every time you beat monsters, your dad adds more money to your bank account. But you don't know how much he's adding. It doesn't tell you until you call or you look at the uh, your bank account. So you'll do, like, a whole dungeon and then you'll come you'll come out and uh, you'll call your dad to, to save the game because that's his other purpose is saving the game. Uh, and he'll be like, he'll be like, your game is saved. I've added $83,254 to your bank account. Yeah. And you're like, okay, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, like, I, I'm pretty sure you lose half of it when you die, but I only took, I would take out like a tiny fraction of it, and then I would have that forever. I, I take out all of it every, uh, that I can every time. Uh, I guess you lose half of it. I never noticed. <laughs> By the end of the game, I had maxed out money. It didn't matter. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? And this is fairly straightforward. There's a couple of things that break the mold for RPGs, right? For the most part, you put equipment on, you level, you do spells. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, you've got mana, you've got health. Yeah, they call it PP, right? Yeah. Power, uh, uh, what, psychic points? Yeah, psychic, yeah. Psychic or, power, something like that. I thought it was the Venture Brothers reference. You got PP on <laughs> your, your belt. You on your belt. Um, You're part of the, what is it, the Peril Partnership? Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Smart Editions. Your health now, not now, but they invented a thing. Your health scrolls down. It's a rolling ticker, right? Yeah. When you take 256 damage, your health starts rapidly going down. Uh, you can heal before it goes all the way down or win the fight and it will stop. Yes. Right? So there's certain enemies that will explode that will do mortal damage to people. But you won't take all of that because they die in the battle lands. If, if you do them last, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. You know, so sometimes they'll show up with other enemies, and if you kill that per- if you kill that enemy first, you're probably gonna die. You know, but also when you you can heal after taking damage, and it'll immediately flip that counter back uh, to going back up. Mm-hmm. Um, it only heal you to like the point you would have been healed to if the counter had reached its its bottom, right? So like if the counter would have put you to zero and you heal ninety, 
it's going to heal you back up to 90. It doesn't matter if the counter was sitting at 45. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it'll heal you back to what you're supposed to be at, but it'll stop that countdown immediately, right? Yeah. Um, but then if you're healing and you take damage, it will start ticking back down. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and so this doesn't this doesn't actually come into play a ton, but it is really fun. It's, it does come into play much more at, at the very end of the game. And it, it's more about just creating uh, tension in the yes. battle, like a sort of time element in uh, turn-based battles, which is something a lot of games have tried to do. They try to do like you know certain button timings or stuff like that to make the turn-based battle feel like it has action in it. Like that's why they put ATB bars in Final Fantasy. Is they're yes. trying to make turn-based not feel just like turn-based, but also keeping that sort of pace where you can just be in the middle of a battle and someone's like, "Hey, take the trash out." You're like, ah, "Fucking okay," you know, yeah, and, then exactly. go, and just put the controller down, right? Well, and it also it also affects your decision making, which I really like. You know, so like it. Uh, Especially at the end when you, you know, a monster will do uh, a massive attack that hits your whole party for like a fuck ton of damage, right? You really need to get off a multi-heal fast. Uh, But, like, Ness is the one that'll get the multi-heal. Ness is kind of slow. Yeah, that came up a lot. That's a good point. What what you, you could set up your normal attacks, like maybe you have enough time. And you can sit there and choose your attacks and set up a, a normal fight, but maybe somebody's going to die really fast. What I like to do is go defend, 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 multi-heal, right? Because defend is almost instantaneous. So it gets through everybody else's turns because the turns are done in text. It'll say, this person did this attack, did this much damage. This person did this attack, did this much damage, right? And it'll do it at a set rate. So if you make people... And spells, they take they have casting times, right? Mm-hmm. Um. All the t- all the while, your health is ticking down. So the the actions that you choose, if Ness is slow, he's still going last in your party. If the rest of your party have long actions, their health might tick all the way down. Yeah, you know. So you might have to defend all the way through, and then have Ness uh, multi heal, which will save them, but you lose that turn. And it's really fun to have that kind of like split second decision making in a turn based game. Uh, it's not used a lot throughout the game. Yeah, um, but as someone who's just played Earthbound into Mother 3, I've, I've, just, I've experienced a lot of that, like, come on, come on, come on. Yeah. Uh, like, like enough that I, it's it's ingrained into my thought about the game. And I've had I've had quite a few times where uh, I'll save somebody for, at one health, you know? Mm-hmm. They're ticking down, and I get that heal off, and they go from one back up, you yeah. know? And that always feels good. And honestly, I'm shocked that other games have not taken this. There, I don't know any other game that has the system. And I'm like, it should just be stolen. Yeah, and, and th- th- there's one more system that this game added that I also think is just, like, the best version of it. This is another problem at the time. Uh, random monster encounters can be frustrating. Yeah. You're like, exploring a dungeon, you take two steps. You're like, god fucking damn it. Because uh, it just, your screen works. They made the monsters on the overworld, but if you get them from the front... Uh, if you fit, if you bump into them when you're both facing each other, it's normal. If they hit you from the back, they go first and the screen goes red. And if you hit them from the, if you hit them from the back, screen goes green and you go first. But the best part about that also is if you are high enough level that if you just hit attack, 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 you would just, your speed and damage would kill them. They'll just die. And so when you hit things from the back that are around your level, you tend to just kill things. Yeah. Right? So that allows you, so if you're walking through an old area, you don't have to just fight ants again. 
Right? Yeah. Like, uh, and when you're a high enough level, they start to run away from you. Things don't run away from you just based on level, though. They, like, things run away from you in the dungeons that you defeat, like, the, the boss. I could be wrong. I thought when you go back, like, if you're really high level, you go back and, like, the snakes in, uh, on it will run away from you. I don't know. I, I could like, be wrong about that. I don't the, think so, but... The, the way you it's manifested, for the most part, is whenever you do the melody dungeons, which are just the thing you need to get to... Yeah, you gotta collect eight melodies yeah. to fight the final boss. I'm just gonna call them badges. Like, they're basically, yeah, your, basically. your Pokemon badges. When you're leaving, everything runs away from you. And it's really cool, because... Because you're getting back attacks constantly. Yeah, because that... And, um, They want you to walk back outside the dungeons, because one, games this time do that a lot, because it just allows them to make their games longer. Yeah. Uh, and it's what Dragon Quest used to do. Dragon Quest, you would beat something, and then you have to leave. Yes. <laughs> right? Which can sometimes be as hard as going in. Yeah. You know? But this, they made it so it feels like while you're leaving, you just feel so powerful. It's a victory lap. Yeah, it's a victory lap. And you just get, like, free experience as things run away from you that you can choose to fight or not. And even if But sometimes you just kill them. And even if you're not getting the one-shots out of them, because a lot of times, what happens is when you go into a battle, other monsters nearby will will rush into that same battle. Um, And a lot of times, that means you're not going to get the one-shot. But you still get the first attack. And, that and that's huge. usually enough. Yeah. That's usually enough to make it trivial. You know? Like, at so, least you're not taking damage. Yeah. So even if you don't one-shot everything, you still feel like a monster, you know, co- coming mm-hmm. out of a dungeon. You fight your way all the way to the boss, and you beat the boss, and even though maybe you're low health, maybe you're low on items or something, everything's running from you, and you're just you're just back attacking everything. Yeah. Um, and half the shit dies, half the shit dies, but without a battle, and the other half doesn't even get the fight because you you get the first turn. Yeah, know? and I, I've had many dungeons that feel like a slog, but then leaving, I'm like, yeah. I love fighting. Exactly. Now. You just you're chasing them down. Yeah, it's just it's a very different feel. So these are the two main mechanics. This kind of changed on the formula, right? The rolling down counter. And the overworld monster interactions, right? They're just obviously good, in my opinion. Yes. They really don't have drawbacks to me. And they're fun. And they're interesting. And they may, they solve problems the genre had, yeah. you know, at the time. And I'm, I'm, I'm shocked you don't see it more. And you can do interesting things with the monsters, too. Um, there's, there's a couple of areas that I, I struggled through. Um, one of them in the... F- the first area I ever struggled through was going between three to the happy, happy village. And there's these trees that explode and they have a lot of health. They do a lot of damage. And I just wasn't really high enough level. I was having, I was having trouble, but what you can do is you can, uh, if you see one, if you have the distance, you can actually just walk backwards and scroll the screen away from them and they'll deload and you can go back, you can go back through and like a different monster will be there or maybe no monster will be there. So you can actually like play with your, the, the actual loading screens, you know? Um, as your screen scrolls, it loads in monsters. So you can use that to your advantage to, like, get through areas easier. Yeah. And you're kind of, like, preloaded into what you're going to fight in your head. Like, you see that monster. You know what the battle is going to yeah. be if you fought those monsters before. And you can kind of just, like, it just makes your decisions, like, faster and smoother and stuff. You don't have to think it as much. The other parts of the mechanics are just a lot of, like, Dragon Quest references. Now, I know all RPGs seem like Dragon Quest. Because it is the first console-based RPG. It invented the menu system. Yeah. Like, the attack. Like, I love Dragon Quest. Super important. You know, say it all the time, but it's the most popular game series in Japan. Yeah. It's just not popular here. Uh, but some of these decisions are directly in the game. Uh, one thing that I'm not sure if you thought about or noticed um, is old Dragon Quest, you would never see your party. 
Yeah. You would just see the monster from first person point of view. And also those games were really text-based. Like the wording on how you defeated monsters or whatever mattered to the players at the time, right? Which is why the text in Earthbound, I feel like stands out more, right? There's like a level of you do a crit and it goes smash. Yes. And With like, a special font and everything. Yeah, and like that was something... The screen shakes. Yeah, like it's to evoke that early feeling of Dragon Quest, right? Which yeah. was this kind of, you know, uh, which in Dragon Quest is evoking Ultima text-based RPGs, you know, computer shit. Yeah. That's, that was a big difference between Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest is what led to those series diverging. Final Fantasy was the first game to show you doing shit. Yeah, the graphics, right. you know? And your guy would come in with a sword or you'd see a lightning bolt and it was it was dramatic. It was more graphically pleasing. If that makes sense. Um, and that's already been out and it's kind of become the standard, if that makes sense. So Earthbound is purposely going back to that. But so how do you make it feel as engaging, right? As the more, you know, you see your people do shit, right? They make the backgrounds look really trippy and they make the music really cool, yeah. right? Like, you can't tell me Earthbound looks less visually engaging than this, than fighting in Final Fantasy VI at this point, in yeah, my yeah. opinion. Now, people talk about the backgrounds a lot, because it's just kind of... It's like the most noticeable thing when you first start playing Earthbound, is just everything is this weird... Sick, like, it looks like the uh, transitions in that 70s show. Yeah, yeah. Right? These, like, weird trippy things, and all the music is weird. But, like, it really, really helped mix battles, not... I mean, Dragon Quest used to be black text on a black... You know, white, white text, text on, on a black screen. screen. Yeah. yeah, like... Oh, and... and that that's interesting because like no, nothing has animations in the in combat. Uh, well, sorry, no, you don't have a party. Your party is a series of boxes that have your health and your and your uh, PP, right? And then yeah, no. oh, and your enemies are just images. They don't have animations, right? Spells have animations and they're cool, trippy animations. They're yeah. really fun to look at. Um, and they they do a really cool job for these for these abstract ways that they that they make the spells animate. When you get the higher level spells, they animate more. They're like bigger and they take up more of the screen. And it's not like, honestly to me, it, it feels so much better than when I play Final Fantasy. And I'm like, Oh, I learned, I learned I have Fyra and then I get Fyraga. And it's just like, it's a bigger fireball, right? <laughs> this is, these have like weird geometric shapes that move around the screen and stuff. But when I get like, uh, when I get like like my psi gamma ability, it just it like just fills the screen, you know. Yeah. Or my my psi omega, it just, it just blows everything out, and it feels way bigger. It's not just a bigger fireball or a bigger, um, you know, ice sickle that hits that hits the team. It there's it's this abstract concept of what these are, and it looks incredible, and it makes it really really unique in a way that other games just don't. Like every other game now just tries to be Final Fantasy. Yeah, you know, and this game wanted to be its own thing, it, it, which is which is you know good and bad in some ways. Like sometimes you do something Final Fantasy and you're like, that was fucking incredible. But sometimes you come over and you're playing Final Fantasy X and you're like, I'm gonna do a couple turns on inscription while Holy happens. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and you, yeah, obviously whatever we do, we did Final Fantasy recently, uh, but they're short and to the point. Uh, and the game is always focusing on what I would call the I, I like the principle a lot. Focus on what matters. All the sounds for all these effects are also great, right? Like when you have the smash bath, I already said, it just has such a satisfying noise. When you do uh, the ice one, whatever you call that, PSI, PSI freeze, 
it has like it has a noise that I can hear in my ear yeah. right now. Um, what what was yours? PSI gaming, PSI rocking. At, at the at the beginning of the game, they ask you what your favorite thing is, um, and you can randomize them. Like it'll give you a bunch of options. So I randomized mine, and I saw gaming, and I'm like, yeah, gaming, why not, right? So I didn't know it was gonna be my like core ability for Ness was going to be side gaming all the time. I, I made mine crying because I thought I was being funny. <laughs> but then I didn't know. I was like, I don't remember Ness having a crying ability. And it doesn't seem like crying. Uh, but these noises are like really satisfying. Like even, like the, the, the uh, noise when the battle ends. Yeah. The uh, leveling up noise. Like all that stuff. The victory, the victory sound, like with the the little song it, it plays while you level, you know, while all your characters level, and then while all your characters are leveling, uh, it's kind of like a fire emblem where it's like you'll get different, uh, you can get like small levels or big levels. So that's not fire emblem, that's Dragon Quest. Fire emblem is always just one. No, no, you get what? No, don't you get like sometimes you get like three on a stat or something? Nope. Oh, okay. Fire emblem is just one. That's why it's great. Okay. Uh, Dragon I, Quest is like that where it's. So th th that's a thing for different games, right? Is it if you see your level or you don't see your level? Some games you just level up and they don't tell you what's leveling up. Yeah, you go level up and you're like stats I don't see yeah. or really care about because you're not like for the most part you're just checking. Who, okay, what's your defense around relative to the people in your party, right? So it doesn't it doesn't super matter that you always know it, but. Dragon Quest and Earthbound do the thing where they're trying to make you feel the reward of the level. Yeah. Right? In the way, one of the ways they do that is if you have a big number go up, like if you get plus five in guts or whatever, uh, it will go, oh baby. Yeah. I even think there's a sound cue for it. I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. But it, the fact is it, it, it goes, oh baby, you got three guts, you know? Um, when you get it on, when you get it on your side points, Oh, uh, it's incredible because like it's a, so much. Sometimes a normal level on a side point will be like th will be like two to four, you know. And if you if you get like four, you're like hell yeah. That's that's kind of a that's a cast of like a very low level spell. I you think it's all thirty one once. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I've seen that. Um, but then you get an O baby, and it'll be like twelve. You yeah, know? and you're like, that's a whole ass spell. And side points are so valuable. They're your mana. And they are hard to get back. Yeah. And even if I get, like, four points on speed, I'm not going to tangibly feel that. But I feel it when it tells me. Yeah. Like, I get excited. Uh, and the one thing they do with this game really well is you're kind of constantly leveling. You get the full four party members, and you you kind of are getting them constantly, like, in a well-paced time through half the game. Yeah. It's like you're in the... You've done half the game, and you finally get your last party member. And they always start off low level, so they start catching up really quickly. And yeah, it feels good. And then even when you're in the late game, everyone's kind of off kilter, and so you're kind of having a level like every battle, every other battle, like you're getting them a lot. Yes, yeah, throughout the whole game, you you should somebody should get be getting a level every, at least every like three or four battles. Yeah, and, and I think one thing I think works really well is this game. And I was kind of trying to allude to in worse words is the sound design is really good. Like. The sound of a crit feels good. The sound of a level feels good. Any experience you have is connected to, like, a positive serotonin in your brain. Like, the sound of a present dropping from an enemy and getting a thing that you actually use and eat because you have limited inventory yeah. space. Like, something drops a picnic lunch, and you're like, cool. 
I'm going to eat that soon and save some mana. Exactly. And so everything you get on all your levels all feel like little nuggets of that, that like kind of serotonin progress, which RPGs, turn-based RPGs especially, thrive off of. It just kind of makes uh, the whole experience feel better than I think it really is mechanically in a lot of ways. Because yeah. you can kind of just auto everything. Like, that's the that's the number one thing with uh, turn-based RPGs. If you're just hitting attack, 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 you made a bad combat system. Yeah. Right? Um, usually it's attack, sigh, attack, attack. <laughs> exactly. Uh- so it's not that different, but, act like, the leveling process, even though there's no customization over it, is really satisfying in the game. Yeah. You can definitely eke out some complexity in this combat system, but you do not have to. Yeah. And you're you're not heavily incentivized to do so. You like they give you items and stuff and they're like you can use these, but most of them are are, are kind of situational and you're like uh, my inventory space is too limited for situational items. So you're just like uh, unless something is like specifically resistant to like fire or something, it's like well the the way the spells hit is like fire hits in a line, everything in a line. Um, uh, ice hits an individual enemy, but it hits really hard. You know, uh, thunder doesn't hit. <laughs> yeah, thunder kinda... It's random, but it can miss. And I've it's based I've, it's cheap. It's, it's based cheap. on the number of enemies in the fight. Uh, it, it's its ability to hit is based on the number of enemies enemies you are in the fight. The problem is you rarely get more than like a couple, so it kind of misses all the time. So you just don't use it. Um. But it is a heavy hitter, and it can hit multiple enemies, which is which is kind of nice. And some things are weak to it. Yes, uh, a lot though. But but the fact is, like, unless you know something is like specifically weak or strong against against an element, which doesn't happen a lot, you just kind of be like, if they're in a line, I use fire. If they're individual, I use ice. I don't use thunder. You know. Yeah. Everybody else. Just hit it. Like, don't use your side points. Just hit them. Yeah, if know? they're scary, uh, poo, not poo, Jeff fires a rocket at them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so, and so, you do not have to dive very deep into the combat engine to to pretty easily win. Yeah, um, but it, like, it feels good the whole time. It does. It does. And and one thing I really, really do like, there's a mechanic that I think transcends mechanics, and it's, I think, a good segue into talking about the game more as a whole instead of just mechanically. And that's the inventory system. The inventory system is small. <laughs> yeah. Your inventory is very small, and everything takes up a slot. When you start as Ness, they load you up with, like, three or four items. I forget how many items you can hold. I think it's, like, ten or something. It might be twelve. It's a little more than, a little more than that. Twelve or maybe fifteen. You know, But it's not very many, right? Yeah. Um, when you have when when you've got a hundred, and it's hit your points, equipment too is like all spaces. Yeah, yeah. when you've got a hundred hit points and monsters are dropping cookies and the cookies heal for like six, you don't want your inventory filled with cookies. You know, yeah, yeah. cookies are the worst. They're garbage, right? But in the first dungeon, when you don't like really have any healing, you don't have enough side points to use your healing spell. Uh, cookies are just a way to maintain, which is nice, right? Because like every enemy drops them, but. They also give you uh, a, a telephone that you can only receive phone calls on. They give you the soundstone, which you need to collect the melody in the in, in the things. They give you a ATM s- card. They give you your ATM card, which you need to be able to use your money and collect your money. Uh, and that's already multiple slots gone, you know? And then they give you a bunch of bullshit, uh, you know, cookies and, and stuff that, like, you don't really use that much. It also makes every party member feel like a breath of fresh air. Because yeah. every time you get 
a new party member, you're like, I need your space. Yeah. Yeah, and, and your equipment. There's four equipment slots and they're all uh they're all in your inventory, you know? Mm-hmm. So like really like half your inventory is filled up kind of at any at, at any given time with stuff you absolutely need. And then not that much is left for stuff that you really want to bring along. So to some degree for combat, I find it's it's a detriment, but it's kind of intended to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it and, means, and it makes you use your shit. Yeah. Like, it, you, you're no longer like, I'm going to save this for the final boss. You're like, no, just eat the fucking thing. Yeah, like, very quickly, you're just... You like, have a lot of money. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. You like, you don't care very quickly. You're like, ah, just eat it. If it heals me, eat it, you know? Uh, but there's stuff I don't bring, like, rust spray that's like, no, yeah. this does heavy damage against robots. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to carry that with me, and I don't know what enemies I'm going to be facing. Yeah, exactly. So... Maybe it'll be useful, but I'm not bringing something in this dungeon that maybe is useful. But but if you have one because you open a box and you see one, you're like, I'm using the fuck out of this. Exactly. Like, just die. Get right? this out of my inventory. It's great to it, it's great because you you get that rust spray and then you'll like fight. You know, maybe the next thing you fight is a robot. And you're just like, let's oh, just die. You know, just get out of my way. You don't save shit. Um, and on top of that, putting stuff away is such a chore. Yeah, it really is uh, intentionally because your sister starts up a. A uh, delivery company. Escargo Express. Escargo Express. And you can call her uh, from a payphone, which are in specific locations. And for $18, she will send a guy to take or uh, deliver three items. No more. Yeah. So if you're like, I want to put up a bunch of stuff, you can't. Or it will take a long time. You call her. It's a lot of dialogue to get to get through it. And then you have to wait for the guy to show up on foot and then be like, what three items would you like? And you have to individually choose the items. And there's a lot of dialogue doing that. He can't also show up everywhere. Yeah, there's some places he can't show up. And it'll take you, like, if you want to store three items, it'll take you, like, five minutes to do it. You know? If you want to store six items, fuck you. Throw them away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just literally, don't do it. Just or sell them, them. Who cares, you know? Uh, and, and so, like, that is an interesting way to... Uh, to incentivize item use and and in combat, it is frustrating, but it, it's also there's this sort of diegetic nature to it that I really enjoy. There are certain items that uh, only certain characters can use. You know, uh, Jeff, the, your scientist character, he can collect broken items, and if the item is broken in his inventory when you sleep, there's a chance. That night, he will fix it into something useful. Yeah, and I don't really use those items, but I enjoy Wake. I enjoy like, Wake. Got that? Yeah, it's so cool. I leave them in this inventory because I don't know what they're going to be. Yeah. You know? And some are good. Some, some are of them good. are equipment. Yes. Or, like, some of them are just, you're, my attack went up. Exactly. Uh, but, like, there was a time where I had Jeff completely full of broken items. He couldn't carry anything else. He had his regular items and his broken items. And I'm like... Looking for a place where I can spam sleep so I can get some of the shit out of my inventory. And eventually I just ditched some of it, and I kept some of it, and Jeff became more useful. But, like, it's interesting how how that works. Uh, when Jeff starts, they give him, like, a ruler and a compass. And you're like, oh, what do these do? No, nothing. They do something. They're funny. Yeah, uh, exactly. They say if you use a compass... Not compass. Sorry. If you use a protractor, the text in the game says... Jeff can now measure the angles of things more easily. Yeah. And that's it. And that's really funny. And you really want to think, oh, did, what does that have an effect in combat? Like, does he hit better now? Nope. Yeah. Like, what does a protractor do? It's like, you, you know what a protractor does. Yes. That's what a protractor You can measure angles. You know? It's not like it's useless. It's that it doesn't have use in combat. Right? And so you don't want your inventory filled with 
rulers and protractors and stuff, but it's interesting that the, that's like that's how Jeff is introduced to you. He's like a scientist kid, and he's literally he's he's uh, he's called by uh, Paula, who's who's a, a really psychic girl. You know, she's like Jeff. We need your help. And Jeff gets up in the middle of the night and with, with his friend, and he grabs his protractor and his his ruler. And says, I'm going to go on a big adventure, you know? Yeah. Oh, uh, and it's like, that's interesting, because he doesn't grab weapons. Yeah, you know? yeah. He grabs he grabs what, what makes him who he is, right? He grabs yeah. things that describe his character. Uh, and that's that, that's really interesting. In the same way, Ness starts with, uh, y- y- you get the soundstone, you're like, cool, uh, you know, I-, I need that to, to beat the game. But you also have an ATM card. Uh, and a and a receiver telephone that your dad calls you on and and is like, hey, sport, or you know, you've been out there for a while. Do you want to take a break? And you're like, no, not yet, dad. You know, um, you can't make calls from that, but you've got your ATM card that your dad also puts all your money on. You know, and it's it it serves this narrative purpose. Uh, like like for Jeff, it's it tells you who Jeff is. You know, um, uh, for Ness, it really shows you. Not just who he is, but, like, what his place in the world is, you know? He, you don't just have your money. You don't get money from monsters. You get money on your ATM card that your dad gives to you. Yeah. It tells you. It's a constant reminder uh, that you are a child first. And that this is a big thing in the game. You are a child. Everybody talks about it. When you talk to people, they're like, oh, you, I know a kid on a big adventure when I see one. You yeah, know? yeah. Everybody talks like that. Um, you're not, you are a chosen hero, but you're a child first and a chosen hero second, you know? And that, that shows because you have to call your sister, um, to put items away. Like you left and she, she had a tech startup, you know? Uh, you have to call your mom cause you get homesick. You have to carry your ATM card because otherwise your daddy can't put money on your card. You can't buy the stuff that you need to continue your adventure because you don't, you do not own this world. It, it doesn't work. It's not like Pokemon. When yeah. you're ten years old and you own the world because you can catch things, yeah, in, in, in Pokeballs. I mean, it know? took him like twenty years to become Pokemon Master. Yeah, but like he just left. His his mom was like, "You're ten, bye." Yeah, she enjoy roaming the planet. Mister Mime's coming over. <laughs> Please get out. Who's my dad? Kid, you're you're half a clown, and we all know it. <laughs> <laughs> like we said in our previous uh, cast, clowns don't have agency over you. <laughs> They have no authority. Um, and the, I've been finding this a little difficult because the thesis statement I kind of came with this game is it's this game is more than the sum of its parts. And talking about the parts, I, I'm finding somewhat difficult because so if you look at the characters, right? Ness, Paula, Jeff, and Pooh. These are you can name them whenever you want. Have fun doing that. Yeah, uh, I actually named my my Jeff Isaac because you can randomize their names. It's a better name too. Uh, it is because it's Isaac Newton and all. But yeah. like, I just have to call it Jeff because it's like that. This is with the established I, names. Of I named characters. my character in Undertale Jeff as a oh, uh, nice. as, as penance for for misnaming him <laughs> in this game. That's really fun. Uh, but like, Ness is just a boy, uh, you know, on his adventure. He doesn't have a lot of characterization. Paula is just a psychic girl. She doesn't like. They talk about like Ness and Paula, like you're gonna hitch one day, and you're yeah. like, we have not spoken to each other it in is, the game. It is because they are opposite genders. Yeah, yeah, uh, d- d- yeah. yeah. Very Dragon Quest. <laughs> you know, d- d- the protractor and ruler thing is most of Jeff. Jeff actually has a cool thing with his um, 
His, his dad. dad is a scientist who just ignores him. We'll get, we'll get to that later. And Pooh has a whole scene that we'll also get to later that characterizes a little bit. But at best, they get an introduction and then not really anything more. Yeah. But these characters feel really well-defined. Like, when you're walking around with your four characters, you feel the sense of your party sink in a lot better. They do have little, like, mechanics things that help deviate them. Like, Paula has Prey, which is a random thing, so, like, don't do it. Until the end of the game, definitely do it. <laughs> um, Jeff can spy and, like, see what what um, the enemies are weak to or whatever. Yeah, they're attacking defense. And attacking defense and repair things, obviously. Uh, and Pooh can mirror your copy your shit. Right, because martial art. He copies uh, enemies. Enemies, he, he yeah. He becomes an enemy on screen, and then he, you no longer control him. In yeah. Combat. Yeah, I, like, never used it. But, Me like, neither. <laughs> but, like, you know, it, these things kind of mechanically, you know, keep them in place. And, like, the only thing Ness has is uh, he's stronger and better than everyone else. Yeah, and he has, and he has Psy Gaming. Psy Gaming, yeah, right. yeah, it, yeah. It's a, it's a full screen attack, which nobody else has until Pooh uh, at the very end of the game. So it's actually, like, it's a very expensive spell, and it's actually really useful. But then you get so much mana for him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, there, you know, this shouldn't be, you know, this cast shouldn't be as good as Final Fantasy IV or yeah, Dragon should. Quest III. Or, actually, Dragon Quest But it somehow is, it feels better, because they, they ingrain you in the world so well. Like, the thing you said, a homesick, if you don't call your mom after a while, you miss turns. Yeah. Ness a just feels homesick, and then you you it compels you to to do the thing. <laughs> Jeff's intro, I just love so much because when Jeff shows up, even though they don't define him a lot, you have your friend there, Tony. Yeah, and Tony will call you. You'll read a letter at the end of the game. Uh, you write Tony, or Tony writes you. But you just get this sense that Jeff has the best friend in his boarding school. And that means something to him. And it, like, it just makes them feel, it's a simple thing, but it makes them feel real in a way that, like, I appreciate. Yeah. Uh, and then when you go on your adventure, it's just easy to do what the RPG, the R in the RPG is, which is role play. Just feel what it is like to be these characters. To do things that aren't mathematically optimal, because they're fun, and they're cool, and it's what your character would do. Yeah. Um, like, you and I both repaired all these things that don't matter. Uh, not because we were trying to eke out advantages, even though you did try to grind that weapon for Pooh, which seemed insane to me. Uh, I just wanted it, because Pooh only has equipped, he can only One equip slot. certain things. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's the, it's the set of kings. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just saw it on the wiki, and I was like... It's one out of two fifty six drops, chance. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. And I, I literally had it set up, because we were playing on the, on the virtual console. Which switch, yeah. which means you can rewind. Uh, you can rewind. So what I was doing was I was rewinding to a point where I was always getting into a battle with a superstar man who's who's the one that drops it, and I would randomly open menus and move around and stuff to reset the RNG, and just hoping I would get something, uh, you know, at some point. And I did it for like a few hours, and I didn't get anything, and I just moved on. But I got every other part of the king set. It pisses me off a little bit. I was really hoping I was just going to get lucky and drop it and just be super annoying yeah. about it. Uh, I actually like Pooh doesn't, like, get equipment for most of it, because he just feels like the ultimate backpack. Yeah. It's just, like, nice to have Pooh just, like, your inventory's full. And, like, because, like, Jeff has to, like, not has to, but, like, he just carries a bunch of crap on him. Like, the bottle rockets and the gadgets yeah. and stuff. 
And so his inventory fills up really quickly. Uh, and then Paula's just the inventory I did not organize. But yeah, like, but, but also you never want inventory on Paula because she's she's your psychic uh, monster. Yeah, you're never going to you, you know. Like, yeah, her turns are valuable. Yeah, like you never want to be missing turns on Paula to to give somebody else something or to even restore her own uh, psychic points. Like that's that's a poo job. That's a Jeff job. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Like they carry the psychic stuff so that Paula can keep fighting. Yeah. Uh, but there's two things that I think the game also helps to make you feel a part of it. Like, that make you feel, that makes it feel personal. A lot of games lie in a name shit. Yeah. Right? But the way it works in this game works really well for two reasons. One, I do say that a lot. God damn it. Now I hear it. <laughs> uh, they ask twice, uh, who's the person holding the controller? And we'll talk about how that, you know, manifests later. But they make you put yourself in, like, they, they, they recognize you, the player. Yeah. <laughs> and you get to put your name in. I felt compelled to not make a joke there. The first time I played, I just put my name there. Yeah, they ask you really to, like, be honest about it, and they kind of compel you to do it. Yeah, and, and it feels really good. But you can name all your characters, and you can name two things. Um, your favorite hobby and your favorite food. And they bring it up all the time. And this is my favorite thing I've ever done in one of these games. But uh, I made my favorite food pussy. And I think this game incentivizes you to make jokes like that. Yeah. Because they name one of their characters Pooh. Yeah. Do you know how funny so many dialogues are when your favorite food is pussy? Because the game starts and your mom is like, uh, go eat some pussy and go back to bed. <laughs> and you're like, Jesus, mom. But like later there's someone who's just like, someone goes like, I love pussy. The smell. <laughs> The texture. And, like, they're just so... And, like, one is a... Ness got a faint whiff, whiff of pussy. And he, start, uh, he, he starts, craving like, it. craving it. And you're just like, this is amazing. Yeah, part of being homesick is he, he craves his favorite food, you know? So, like, mine, I randomized. It, it went to steak. And I'm like, yeah, I like steak, sure. Right? Uh, so, Ness is always talking about steak. And my mom's always just like, oh, yeah. I'll, make it, I'll make you a nice steak. It's just... It's incredibly funny to just be like... Just be like, oh, Ness started thinking about his mom, and now I really crazy <laughs> pussy. You're like, I am so yeah, but like, it just it's just it's that lighthearted fun that works. So it's that, and like, I I legit think they were like, people do this. We're gonna we're gonna make a bunch of funny text uh, because we want people to put like poo and yeah. pussy and stuff because it's silly. Fart. Yeah, like I started thinking about farts. In Mother Three, the normal randomizer is for omelets for your favorite food. Uh, and there's a really in the game. Their two twin brothers goes lunch pussy. <laughs> it's just so good. Uh, it's incredible. Uh, yeah, there's yeah. It's just it's it's my favorite. Like I've never had more fun ever in a put your own text thing there. Yeah, you know it's usually just what I and I don't like. I just did it for Earthbound, and it's like. I've shown screenshots to people like at work and everyone's just like, that's amazing. Yeah. It just feels really good. And the same thing in that creation screen, they like tell you to pick your like menu colors and it's like peanut butter. Like they just have weird names yeah. like vanilla ice cream. It just changes the kind of thing. And it like, Mine it's banana. It's a personalization that feels better than like what Final Fantasy does, which is literally um, RGB, the red, green, blue. Yeah. You can just make, you can just make the color you want. Right? And that feels like a worse customization than the way they put it through these different options. Yeah. I, it's just, it, it, 
again, it just pulls this game together more than what it would be just in its individual pieces. And what makes those what makes those screenshots really so funny? Uh, it's not just the fact that he's saying pussy, right? Uh, it is a lot a, of it. it. It is, but what it is is the sincerity with which the game brings it forward. You know, yeah, the game makes its own jokes, but when it's not making jokes, it's being serious. You know, um, the game, like the game, starts and it, it's it's nighttime and there a meteor fell and you have you go and investigate it, uh, but like the cops block your way and stuff and you come back home and you get your friend and eventually you you're able to get back to the meteor and you meet you meet Buzz Buzz who's this funny little God, this little. Buzz. I, I don't know what she's like a fly basically. A fly, right? yeah, she's a fly, and um, she can't. She's there at the meteor, and she's like, she's like, you're the chosen hero. You can help us. You can help us save it. And you have to go back home with Buzz Buzz. And while you're going back home, these star men keep showing up. And they're crazy strong enemies, and Buzz Buzz is just knocking them out, just like putting just, up shields and tearing through. Yeah, it, you're doing one to two damage, you know, general like to to most monsters. She's doing hundreds to to these star men, just crushing. Them. Uh, and you just feel like you're you're under this protection of like this fucking deity, you know, yeah. this alien bug that's that's here to save you. And then you get in into your home, and your mom's like, "You it's a, it's a Porky's home." Oh, okay. So then you uh, you get to your uh, your neighbor Porky's house, and who's horrible? Yeah, he was horrible. And his mom's like, "You a bug?" It just kills Buzz Buzz. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just slaps it like a fly, and Buzz Buzz is dead. And that's the joke. That, it, that they're making, right? It's, it's funny and it's like it's it's compelling. It's funny and there's actually a second joke that I also really like. Is Buzz Buzz tells you you're the chosen hero from the ground. It has this big text and yeah. just outlines the game, and he goes like, "I'm fading away now." Did you get all of that? <laughs> and then we'll just repeat itself again. And the first choice is no. They want you to accidentally yeah. make Buzz Buzz on his deathbed just rip, like just I'm sad. dying. You can read this as many times as you want, though, because it's a game. And it's a combination of heartwarming sincerity with game mechanics that, like, are normal, but also parody of those game mechanics. Like, it's always funny, interesting, and heartwarming all at the same time. Yeah. It's just, like, it's like it gives that sense of family, like, in a weird way. Yeah. And then, and then after Buzzbuzz dies, you, you go back home and you, uh, you, I think you sleep the night and you're, and you're like, okay, I'm going off. On my adventure, and your mom's like, your mom's like, okay, but you got to change out of your PJs first, you know, can't go adventuring in your jammies, and so you, she makes you go back to your room and put on your regular clothes, you know, your iconic striped shirt and everything, and then you can go out uh, fighting, and it's like it's an incredible sequence, I think, but it's so interesting to me that like they have these they have these funny jokes where like Buzz Buzz this this com this cosmic power just gets slapped because she's a fly, you know? yeah, and, and then she's dead, and then. You're like you're like okay. I'm the chosen hero. Time to go on my adventure. And mom's like, yeah, but change out of your pajamas. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's just it sets up the world in a in the tone of the game in really interesting ways because it's comedic, it's serious, um, it's childlike, it's charming. It's all the things that that make Earthbound what it is. Yeah, and know? it's genuinely really funny. Like a lot of these jokes really do land. It's one of the funniest games I've ever played. Yeah. And you go you, you go down to your first town, it's called Onet, and you, you learn you're trying to go to the second town, Tucson, and you're like, are all the towns just named one, two, three? Yeah, because then it's yeah. three, and yeah, then the four side, and you're like, oh, but then it stops after that. They do stop that, but it's funny, because you're just like, the first four towns are just one, two, three, four, you know? 
uh, you get to, you get to a net and like a big problem is the police have put up barricades and you can't go to Tucson and you go, you go talk to the police and they're like they're like yep this road's barricaded Onet's known for its barricades you know yeah yeah uh, which I also like because that was a big like Dragon Quest thing right where you go to a town and you're like can I just keep going and they're like Boulder yeah but well, we're working on it uh, maybe if you like beat the boss here, right yeah. we would finish the Boulder you you leaving three going to Happy Happy Village. They're like, oh, damn, you can't go this way. There's a big metal pencil in the way. Yeah. And you're like, what? And then immediately uh, a person you've met. I don't know if it's actually right after that, but you you meet two investors, Apple Kid and Orange Kid. I wonder what that's about. <laughs> um, yeah, what inventor is associated with apples? Yeah. Uh, and Apple Kid calls, like, Orange Kid is all, like, rich and pristinely, right? Yeah. Uh, but will never help you. Literally, like, you give him money, and he'll never... You have to give them money. Uh, I think you just get... I think you just give Apple Kid food, too. It's, like, something funny. Um, you give both money. You invest in both. Uh, but Apple Kid's like, I invented a pencil eraser. No, 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 no. Not an eraser for pencils. It erases pencil-shaped objects. Yeah. And, like, no one wants it for some reason. <laughs> and they're like, there's a pencil-shaped object right fucking yeah. here. And then later, uh, he, he develops the eraser eraser. Because yeah. you, find, you find a big metal eraser, and you're like, that's not pencil-shaped, that's eraser-shaped. Yeah, and it's like, it's doing a mechanic thing of just, we need to block off the area, right? Yeah. Like, this is, like, this is blocked off until you make some progress, but do it in a way where it's we're, it's always going to feel gamified, because you, the audience, are smart enough in games to realize, yeah, we just put a block there for a while. But they do it in a way that's charming and heartwarming and doesn't feel like... You just ran into an invisible wall in the game, which yeah. is what you would normally experience. And it's also not completely pointless, because the way you get the, the pencil eraser, it's not just to deal with that one obstacle, uh, or, you know, multiple obstacles, there's a few pencils in the in the game. Um, but it's also so that Apple Kid can give you uh, his phone number, so that he can call you later and help you out in other situations. He invents the fly, or the zombie paper. Yeah, you know, just fly paper for zombies. Yeah, he'll call you up and he'll just be, he'll just be like, "Hey, I invented, uh, I invented this weird thing called zombie paper. It attracts zombies and they get stuck to it. You know, it's just fly paper, but it's for zombies. It's weird." And he's like, "I'll send it to you right now." And he sends a guy to to get, give it to you. And you can't do that if he's not if you don't have this pre existing relationship. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it it sets something up and then the, and then it does pay it off. Uh, more later. And all of his things are funny. He also makes a trout-flavored yogurt machine. Exactly. Because someone needs trout-flavored yogurt. Right? And yes, these are arbitrary things. Yeah. But, I, I mean, it's a game. Everything's technically arbitrary, right? Yeah. Like, uh, but they use it in interesting ways, and they they always make it fun. It's not just like, oh, he invented a pencil eraser, and then there's pencils all over the place, and you always have to carry that, you know? I want to contrast it to how much I hate that the look of that Justin Rowland game, but I'm just going to <laughs> let that one lie because that will take too long. Fair enough. As we talked about, they did a really good job at making the me game mechanics be like simple, fun, and engaging, but also everything is a satire from both a gameplay perspective, but also like a real world perspective. And I think kind of every town kind of has this, right? I'm not going to go through like all the towns, but, like, you go to the beach and there's, like, a philosophy club and they're just all staring at a rock being, like, saying faux intellectual yeah. stuff. And then someone in there sells you magic cake yeah. <laughs> that allows you to see Bipu, uh, a person. We talked about the zombies, but, like, it's just a town infested with zombies and there's, like, a sentient circus in the middle yeah. or tent in the, the middle. The zombies at night have to go to a tent. Yeah. They, there's only one other tent in town and they're like, man, if only we had, like... 
some some way to trap the zombies, like fly paper, but for zombies. And then Applegate calls and is like, I just invented zombie paper. <laughs> yeah, they uh they cage all the zombies too. Like yeah. they're just like there's like a, just a bit of everyone like the zombies are now the zoo to them. Yeah. Uh in uh Tucson, there's just like the KKK. Like yep. it's weird. It's a cult called the you can do the cult stuff you know about it better right? yeah they're, they're the I, th- I forget what they're called they're like the blue ha- cult or something yeah like the happy blue the happy that- happy village and they're like the, the the happy blue cult or something they're obsessed with the the color blue they all wear blue but they're the the things that the robes that they wear are clearly kkk robes and they're obsessed with you yeah, know they're just painting everything blue they all have paint well they're very obsessed with a, a particular color yeah you know and they want to they want to despite many historical atrocities <laughs> they want to blue wash the whole world you know it's that's the thing it's like it's kind of crazy it's in this game that's so on the nose yeah right and like you like especially back then there's a lot of like censorship stuff yeah. you know kind of like put fucking crosses in Japanese games nonetheless like we're talking about the KKK it's very clear like they're dressed like yeah it's very obvious right but they, they are funny about it too you have to go in and uh, there's like a maze of people standing around and you have to talk to a person and they'll move out of your way but every time you talk to them they're like blue blue like they're just chanting you know And then, but some of them just do it bad like one guy you walk up to he goes green Green. No, that's not it. Sorry, it's my first day. And he just steps aside for you. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny to join the blue cult and be like, I don't know what color we are. I'm just happy to be a part of it. Yeah, and my favorite is when you beat the boss, like the statue that's like fucking all their minds up. The, the Manny statue? The Manny statue. When you go and talk to people in the village, uh, one of them is just going, yeah, we're all pretty embarrassed about that. <laughs> like, it's just a thing we're doing and now like, okay, back to being normal, I guess. <laughs> oh. And what's interesting is is the meteor it has drawn in um, Gygus, who's this ultimate evil, and he's the he's the final villain of the game, right? Uh, but he's this nebulous evil that has this corrupting effect on the world, and so all these uh, all these KKK people are being corrupted by Gygus, you know. And once you destroy the Manny statue, which is kind of like uh, the the catalyst for his power in that area, that's when everybody's like, oh, we shouldn't have been doing that, you know. And it's interesting. So this game's about Fox News. <laughs> Weird. Yeah, if we yeah if we if we win and destroy Tucker Carlson, yeah, yeah, a lot of people would revert to normal. <laughs> oh, but it's interesting that that they are presented as as corrupted humans. They even say this at the very beginning when when Gygus is first introduced as a concept. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's Buzz Buzz who's just who's like you'll yeah. even fight people and they'll be corrupted. You can tell because they're you know, a, a different color, you know? And once you beat the shit out of them, you don't kill them. They, it, it says they return to normal. And this, that that happens to the KKK. And it's interesting to, to represent these, you know, real world, terrible people, mm-hmm. right? As corrupted uh, by, by pure evil. Yeah. You know, it's, it's in, it's in their soul. Um, and you can say something about intentions, I guess. Right. But I don't think it really goes that deep with it. But like, you know, net, um, the police are your main enemy. Uh, once you, uh, once you beat up the street gang, uh, you have to go. Shocks. You have to go talk to the mayor, and the mayor's like, "Oh yeah, I'll, I'll lift the barriers. Here, go talk to the police about that." And the police lead you into a room, and one by one, try to try to kill you. Yeah, yeah. All of the police gang up on a child in a room because they're all corrupted. Yeah, know? yeah. Um, in Foreside, has it, nothing to do with the Manny statue. They specifically no Manny statue, not it. That's the, they're just bad people. <laughs> they are corrupted in Onet. In Foreside. They're just bad people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't fight the police. 
but they are the they are this threat because uh, Forsyth's been taken over by uh, by a, some kind of like mafia leader, right? And the police are just walking around, just be like, "Yeah, we work for him now." Yeah, you yeah. Know? Like if he says do something, we do it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but they're not corrupted. Like you don't beat them and and uncorrupt them. They're just they're just happy to be monsters. And in a lot of ways, the game is this sort of critique of like capitalism and you know the 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 imperial west yeah right? and, and again i know i keep alluding to it and we'll do a cast on it soon but like he clearly has some sauce about capitalism the oh, guy yeah. who made this game because yeah. like mother three is just about capitalism yeah but it, it's also you see it in how like your your dad you never meet your dad he exists to save your game and to put money on your atm card yeah and you have like even a doctor and a nuts and a nuts god what a great game. Um, when you bump into him, he he says to Jeff, he goes, oh, yeah, no, I haven't seen you in 10 years. Uh, I guess I'll see you another decade. Yeah. You know, because he's been at boarding school and he's just working on his stuff and just not thinking about his child. Yeah. Right? And he's just like, oh, can I borrow your flying machine to rescue a friend that zapped information into my brain? And he's like, sounds good. Yep. Um, and well, like, hope it, you turn out well, kid. Yeah. And like... Yeah, it's like, you know, it is a critique on these sort of relations, you know, like uh, the way you, you know, I want to say, ab- it's not It's not just like, oh, like everyone in the West doesn't have like fathers who care about them yeah. or whatever, but like, but it reminds me of one of my favorite animes, uh, Fooly Cooly, which has a very, the- it's a theme, it's a show about growing up, but one of the things is, it's a middle schooler who's like stupid adults who don't know how to grow up, and all the adults seem crazy. Yeah. And all the adults are crazy in Earthbound, yeah. right? You have, like, the Runaway Five, or just the Blues Brothers band. Literally. And, and they just go from town to town, owing an unfathomable amount of money to like people. A million dollars. Yeah, it's 10000 and then a million. Yeah. <laughs> By clearly corrupt evil people, right? Yeah. By clearly bad people. Uh I don't know why Porky gets a promotion in Foresight, but he's just in the... I don't know. He just, like, somehow got a position of power in, like, the metropolis area for no reason. But, like, you kind of just see, like, a society that's, like... Like, every place is, like, kind of fucked up. Like, you're just kind of like, the people who run this place... Yeah. Don't run it, right? Exactly. And you see it in the the overall adventure. And this is the point where you, you start stretching what you get out of the game. And it, it, it kind of is what what I mean when I say Earthbound is greater than some of its parts. Because it, it doesn't say everything explicitly, but there's you start pulling these these nuggets of thought out and you start thinking about them, even if it's not technically asking you to. So like, yes, there is this there is this weird divide between how incompetent all the adults are and how this this these four children are being asked to save the world from ultimate evil. You yeah. know? Your mom tells you, change out of your jammies before you go fight God, you know? Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah, okay. Uh, and your dad calls you and is like, hey, sport, you've been working hard. Do you want to take a rest? And you're like, Paula's been kidnapped by a vomit monster. I really got to save her. You yeah. know? And, and he's like, okay, here's $400,000. <laughs> yeah. Like, sure, thanks, dad, you know? And that's the thing they do well is they keep it all. It's really easy to come back because everything is so ridiculous and, like, Charming, but, like, also funny. Like, there is just piles of vomit you're fighting. Yeah. Uh, there, There's one of my favorite bits. Um, early in the game, and again, I've been making some uh, Pokemon comparisons because it has that sort of aesthetic. You you see a bicycle shop. And you're like, cool, I would like to run, 
And so you go to the bicycle shop and they're like, yeah, we'll sell you a bicycle or we'll give you a free bicycle. Got one free bicycle for you. And you can you get on it. You go real fast. You're like, this is awesome. And this is the beginning of the game. It's just you, Ness. And then you get Paula and you can no longer ride that bicycle until the end of the game. In the same town, somebody will give you a teddy bear. Yeah. follows you along as a, as a partner. You can't ride the bike. When I first saw the bike, I have, you know, I played Pokemon in the past, but I haven't played Earthbound. And I'm like, oh, it's like the bike in Pokemon. Hell yeah, you know? It's not. You never get to use it Yeah, you again. immediately have to give it back to your sister. Yeah. Uh, if you hit R on your Super Nintendo controller, because we know we don't condone pirating at this game. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be really hard to cover Mother 3. How, how is how is Nintendo going to make their money if you pirate Earthbound, a game they don't care about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess they put it on Switch. <laughs> but like, oh, that's how they make their money. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, they make you make you buy the online for Earthbound. It's worth it. Uh, oh, I have to do a monthly prescription for just some Earthbound. Never mind. Back to upset. <laughs> but you have to call your goddamn sister to make her pick up that bicycle because you can't have any more yeah. dead inventory space. Yeah. Um. Uh. But yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry. The but the button you press the R button it rings the bell on the bicycle. It's the only thing the button does in the whole game. Yes. They programmed up the one button to just do a bicycle bell. That's very funny. Yes, I like it. You yeah, know? and, like, there's so many things in the game that, like, are little tiny charming things. Like, someone will sell you an egg, and then <laughs> you'll have this egg, and then you'll hear, like, this, like, this weird It'll noise. stop you. Or, I, no, no. no it just, it makes just makes yeah, noise, yeah. and I was going crazy. I was like, what is making this noise? And then I look at my inventory, and I'm like, I don't remember getting a chicken. <laughs> and I'm like, that egg hatch. That fresh egg hatch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's wild. Yeah, and that's so funny to me. Uh, but at the same time, even even this satire, there's like a genuine sincerity to it that I really appreciate. Like, yes, it maybe it's talking about this divide between adults and kids, and I don't mean just like a maturity divide. I mean like looking forward in in the future, how we see it today a lot. It was it was much more prescient seeing in the '90s, but a lot of people were talking about you know, global warming and things like that, the 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 effect of the baby boomers were already being seen in the 90s, you know, mm-hmm. and they've only gotten worse since then. But people were starting to speak out at the same time. We were having talks about global warming in the 90s, yeah. you know, Al Gore's Green Party and all that. But this idea that the adults are incapable of of helping the world, you know, they're, they're all having these major problems, but they're incapable of dealing with them. And we need the kids to show up. And fix all our issues. Yeah, you know? and, and there's some structural stuff. Like, after you finish Foreside, where it's like the metropolis, capitalist area, and you have to, like, help the Runway 5 with their million dollars. Like, it's, you know. Yeah. People are taking off in helicopters and shit. Like, it's you know, very blatantly a, a New York parody. Uh, you go to a summer resort where everything's expensive, right? Like, it's. Yeah. Um. Like, you go to the restaurant, and they're just selling, like, crack and soup for the most money you've seen for anything. There's a, the philosophy of everything being esoteric, esoteric, but when you cross the ocean, you're just in poor land, yeah. right? It's just in that no longer is following the game structure, right? Where town, like, the, at that point, you, like, backtrack to go to Foresight to get a melody, and you just kind of go between this and the uh, darkness and the underworld. Like, it's... You go back and forth a couple of times between these places, and it and, and you just keep getting melodies. Like it just doesn't feel that same structure of like town problem melody. If that makes sense, yeah. And you know, one group doesn't even use money. You barter with them, right? The 
there's no problems in I forgot what the town's called like Scarab something like yeah, that Scarab Scarab or Sca- Scaraba Scaraba yeah there you go. or Araba you got it yeah yeah. There's nothing to do in Scaraba. Like you just you just get some stuff, you get heat stroke as you walk to a pyramid, yeah. and then you leave. Kind of Ru- heat stroke. Yeah, heat strokes the rough, the roughest. I just think it's kind of interesting that once you leave like the kind of structure of like the cities and all that kind of stuff, so there's a feel where it's like you leave you, know, you leave the West and you know the trappings of capitalism. The problems you face are different. You're not like dealing with mayors and cops and like societal things you're kind of seeing individual like little one you know you're you know dungeons like pyramids and stuff but like you also have like a lot like you you have like a weird restriction on your conveniences one you get heat stroke that sucks later when you're in the deep darkness they take away your poo yeah sorry your party member named Pooh. um and Pooh was the only one who could teleport in the little circle spin yeah and I wanted to leave the deep darkness and I was trying to find a line because the one teleport you have to run and if you hit something you stop and you can't teleport so you have to run until you meet 88 miles an hour yeah yeah so I was trying to find one fucking line in the deep darkness for a long time and I couldn't leave yeah and like you know you had less mobility like you can just like in foresight you want to go back to on it you can just take the bus yeah you know so like you didn't have this weird convenience and like a lot of stuff like it's the end of the game so like everything kind of sucks like (laughs) they make enemies more annoying more status effects but also in the deep darkness there's just a guy who sells you money who like there's no ATMs yeah right so he'll loan you money which I did not do but I've read and seen if you loan him money you will forget that you got money from him Mm mm-hmm Almost certainly, because in the middle of this, like, like, like I said, like it's hard to get in and out of the deep darkness. Even if you don't forget, you are not going back to that guy. Yeah, you're not going back to that guy. It's just a lot of work for not a lot of value. He during the credits will be like, "You owe me money." Yeah. <laughs> like even as the credits roll, like, and it's funny to me because it's like the one capitalist guy in this structure. Yeah. Right is still as uh, hounding you after the end of the game after you save the world. Yeah. But I also think it does a really good job of conveying that you are children at the same mm-hmm. time. And not it's it says, sure, the fate of the world is on the shoulders of children. But it, it, it does a really good job of conveying why that's a problem, you know? The fact that you do get homesick uh, is, is an issue, you know? Uh, if you were, theoretically, you know, in the game, if you were just an adult, you wouldn't expect to get homesick. Mm-hmm. You know, you wouldn't expect that to... to to affect you, but you're a kid. You need to think about your mom's pussy. You know? <laughs> and, and Watch list. One thing, one thing, one moment in my game specifically stood out to me, and it's it, it's actually in Foresight when Paula gets captured. Um, the, this monster you already beat uh, comes back and he captures Paula out of your party. And at the time, my Jeff sucked. He wasn't very good. He wasn't very helpful. Paula was my was my heavy hitter. So taking her out of the party really weakened me. And you have what he did is he took her to the top floor of a department store with like three or four floors, and uh, turned off all the lights. And all the enemies in there were really strong, like really strong, yeah, way stronger than anything I'd fought. And I couldn't make it. I I kept I kept going up, and I would die, you know. Yeah. Uh, or I'd get up to him, and there's just no way I win. And I'm like, I need Paula. I need Jeff to do more damage. 
and I I keep just having to go into this dark department store, you know, where all the all the enemies are are presents and they show up and I'm just like, please don't be, you know, the the hot, hot coffee. coffee, yeah, yeah. hot coffee's brutal, and, it, and like it always is, and I'm just like, fuck, you know, I I'm trying to minimize the amount of time because when you go upstairs, they can't get to you, so I'm like, I'm trying to minimize the amount of time on floors so I can. I'm just like, okay, one battle per floor, you know? And then yeah. the last, to get to the final door with the boss, it's just like kind of a mad dash, hoping you don't get caught by all these presents, and you always do. And about halfway through one of my runs, my phone rings, and it's my dad just being like, hey, sport, you've been at it for a while. Do you want to you want to take a break? And I'm, I honestly was so relieved to hear <laughs> somebody calling. Yeah, yeah. And just being like, you doing okay? You know? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I am not. Yeah. <laughs> I am going through it right now, Dad. And I can't stop because I have to I have to save Paula. And he's like, Alright, here's eight billion dollars. And I'm <laughs> like, that's not gonna help, unfortunately. But yeah. thank you, Dad. And honestly, it just made me feel better because I'm like I'm like, my dad called me. And he he he's like, yes, he just says you've been working hard no matter what you're doing but i've genuinely been working hard and it's good to get that phone call you know and i didn't win that run but i did i did go back and i went over to the hotel and i just called my mom after that yeah after that fight you know because i'm just like i'm trying to win and it's difficult and your you mom's know? like let me get back to my steamy soap opera <laughs> yeah. it's just my real mom right damn that pussy and so you you really you really do feel like a kid with the weight of the the world on your shoulders and it's not always like that but you have those moments where you you get really invested in what's going on um I, I, to me i honestly think the weight feels more because of like the silliness of the whole game yeah like uh what one of your favorite bits is the moles yeah i love the moles like you just go into a place and there's just like uh like there's, there's five, five of them yeah in every moment, it's like, I'm the third strongest. But they say it away, and it just says number three in the back. And then, like, Paula just freeze murders them. Yeah. Every, you would just, I think we had the same experience where Paula just got her, her lambda yeah, yeah. freeze. And it one-shots It one-shots one all of them. But every single mole claimed to be the third strongest of all five moles. Yeah. And you, you'll have them, it'll just be like, I'm the third strongest. And you'll have one that's be like, you fought the first, the second, the fourth, and the fifth. But prepare to feel the power of the third strongest. Oh, and you're like, just get die. You know? <laughs> it's the same fight every time. Uh, the, the other Joker you like is you see you see him twice, but the Mr. Dungeon guy. Yes. So, so all the dun like a lot of the dungeons are again Dragon Questy. They're just caves. Yeah, they're with mazes. Branching pathways. Uh, but the Mr. Dungeon, he's the guy who's making his own dungeons. And they're just, you know, the same thing. There's like the mazes. But he has little signs, and they're generally really funny. Yeah. Right? It's just like, this one is like, this dead end would have been rewarding if there was an item at the end. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it just makes you think about like the very simple what is, you know, level design. But then later when you get uh, in uh, Scarab, how do you say it? Scaraba. Scaraba. It sounds yeah. weird. Scaraba, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Scaraba sounds better. I like Scaraba. Whenever you get to Scaraba, there's a dungeon man walking around, or there's a giant person-looking thing. Yeah, like a, you, like a tiki head. Yeah, and you go inside, and at the top of it is Dungeon Man's face in this walking <laughs> thing. And he has, like, a bunch of antiques. Like, he has, like, an old car and stuff you can see as you're going Submarine, through. yeah. Yeah, and, it, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's maze-like, but it's it's more interesting maze-like than the first one you saw. Like, there's ropes leading to places. Like, it's not that complicated, but it does feel 
it's like a, a progression. It's a lot of levels that you have to move between. Yeah, and you talk to him, and I was stuck for a second. I'm like, what do I do after this? And I left the temple, and I start walking, mm-hmm. and he's following you. Yeah, the he's temple just... gets up and follows you in the overworld. And he will be in battles with you. Yes, and, and then uh, you walk to the south, because you're like, I don't know where to go. And you walk to the south, and he, he gets stuck on the trees, and he's like, well, as far as I can go, I'm stuck here now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just there now. Um, and this is one of the, the, the moments where, like, they have to reuse the, the dungeons. A lot of dungeons you'll have to go through more than once. Mm-hmm. And this is one of them. You go all the way up and you get Dungeon Man to follow you, and then he gets stuck between the trees. You talk to somebody who's like, you'll need a submarine to get to the to the deep dark. And you're like, oh, I saw a submarine in the, in the dungeon. And you have to go all the way back through the dungeon again mm-hmm. because another path has been unlocked now. Yeah. There, there is a funny bit, because uh, everything we say reminds me of Undertale also, uh, because, you know, Undertale is directly responsible, or is directly referential to, to Earthbound, but the first sign you read in Undertale, uh, you walk up and you hit A to read the sign, and it goes, press A to read signs. <laughs> like, yeah. There's no button prompt for it. And that's really the thing, is like, through from the beginning to the end of the game, you might have the compulsion to talk to every NPC in turn-based RPGs, uh, Earthbound actually makes it worth it. Yes. Like, I, I use this example a lot. I almost certainly used it in Chrono Trigger. But most RPGs, you get to a town, and everyone's like, there's ghosts in that cave over there. If you're with a ghost in the cave, I don't go in that cave, there's ghosts in it. Yeah. And then someone's like, I need a ring, but it's surrounded by ghosts. You're like, yeah, no, I, 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 I figured that one out. Yeah. Uh, and they're just trying to point you in a direction, right? But you just talk to a lot of people, and they just genuinely have funny jokes. Like... There's like a like a sign in the hospital that's like an advertisement for tombstones. Yeah, like that's some morbid fucking humor, <laughs> and it's in the first town. Yeah, but like even like the last place you really go to has some like really quality bits. There's these uh the Tenda Village. Yeah, it's like these little like cave people, and they're all shy. But all the Tenda think they're adorable, and they're all shy. And just one's like, I'm not shy, but I can't pick up this rock. Yeah. So uh, and it's and then like all what happens every time you're like, well, what do I do now? Someone goes. I got a book about overcoming shyness. Oh god, I'm getting captured. <laughs> and so you go on a, like a pretty like long quest to to get the book to go into to go into the underworld. And like that's cute and funny, but then you they open the rock and you fall down and now you're tiny. You're like a speck on the yeah. screen cuz you've fallen into dinosaur times yeah. basically. And you just see these the monsters of the overworld are just huge. Yeah, unbelievably big. And so you're like wandering around this huge area and you're really tiny. If you get to a phone and try to get a S-Cargo, they're like, I can't get there. They actually, they'll say they'll come and then they'll get a call and being like, I don't I know where you are. I don't know where the fuck you are. And you're like, yeah, you wouldn't know, would you? They, they don't have phones. They have, they have just have birds that look like phones. Like it's fucking the Flintstones. The, the Flintstones. Like, it's a living. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but when you get to that Tenda village, like the, the Tenda people who live down there. Also, I love this. To thank you, they give you tender kraut. And you're like, oh, food. And I, I was saving it. I'm like, oh, I need help. And they, and they go, this smells so bad. You cannot. <laughs> Ness can't eat it. I'm like, what's they just give me unusable food? Which is distinctly possible. Yeah, which is distinctly possible. And then you get to the village, and they're like, I smell tender crap. No. You know, like, we know what that is. And then they let you in. But even even in that area, they're, uh, I talked to a talking rock, because game's phenomenal. <laughs> uh, one of them is like, 
Oh yeah, uh, don't go out in the cage where all the dinosaurs are. And the whole area is full of dinosaurs. There's a little tiny fence that is their village. Yeah. But outside the village is the cage to them, even though it's the world. And you're like, ah, yeah. really funny yeah. way of framing things. Because the whole area is like ringed by mountains, basically. Yeah. And y- yeah, the village is just a wall, you know, a-, a circular wall with one entrance. And they call everything else the cage. That's wild. Like, what a fun outlook. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. There's nothing really to even say about it. You're just like, that makes me think about stuff. You yeah, know? in a good way. And the game makes you pause. This is the second time that you uh, drink coffee and stuff happens. So let's talk about the first time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mr. Saturn. Now, a lot of people know Mr. Saturn. Again, probably from, from Smash Super Smash Brothers. Super Smash Brothers. But, like, people love Mr. Saturns because they're weird. They have, like, this weird-ass font. That was designed by the maker of the game. That font is from the game. Yeah, and it uses so much of the screen. Like, when they say anything, it's big fucking letters that are all... And they say, like, boing. You know, it's like... It's what I think Moogles in Final Fantasy are trying to be, but they don't work for me. Yes, (laughs) yes. they're, They're better Moogles. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and they're just like little, they don't have bodies, they have feet and head, yeah, and like a little a little bow on their head, and they just walk around, and they're all amazing. Like, I don't know how to describe it, when you go to Mr. Saturn, because you just left Threed when you, when you find it. You go behind Threed, which is dark and full of zombies, it's not great, you just left the clan, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> Your experience with humans hasn't been ideal. <laughs> and you go back, and there's all these little weird creatures uh, and they're just like, vomit's attacking us. <laughs> you do your little vomit dungeon. It's gross. Like, it's just, they the, they make the weird burp noises while you're fighting vomit. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, it's kind of think one of the first areas you really are dealing with staff effects kind of a lot. Uh, and so, like, it's just unpleasant. You know, you look, yeah. like, I in a good way. Like, I honestly feel like I leave it because it's all like, it's like techno building, and but everything it looks slimy or whatever. And you just feel like, they're just, making uh they're they're making they're making honey or something like that fly honey yeah like at, like the word yeah yeah you need like a jar of fly honey yeah. to stun him and, and you're like you're like what's fly honey well it's you know how bees make honey was well, this is the honey that flies make yeah the implication that just anything makes honey yeah <laughs> given yeah. the opportunity <laughs> I, never, I never read that connection but like when you come out you feel grimy and there's a hot spring to heal and you sit in it. And hot springs feel like they there's a good like everything. Their sound design's impeccable in this game. Yeah. And you just hear your screen gets lighter and you feel all clean. And then there's a little Saturn by a stump and says, "You want to drink this coffee?" Right. And you drink this coffee. And then again, the weird backgrounds and text slowly starts going up. And yeah, talk, like, a, like a Star Wars crawl. Yeah, and, and talks about your journey and it's like it just kind of summarizes and it like it centers you. Yeah. It recenters you in in. Into what you are, it, your journey, it your reminds me what you're. It reminds you what you're doing and where you're going, you know. And it'll be like you've made it, you've made it pretty far, and you have a long ways to go still, you know. Uh, it, you know, here's your it, your next stop is there. You know, take heart, brave adventure, that kind of thing. Um, it, it really is just like kind of a pep talk. It is a summary, and it's, it's what you said. It centers you. Yeah, they do it again in the Tenda Village, and it really, like, it's what makes us, we move past just goofy, weird, charming stuff to something that feels, like, a little bit more transcendent. You yeah. know what I mean? Because everything's goofy and weird, and then you get one of these text scrawls, and it's just, like, the fate of the universe 
is on your next actions. Yeah, and know? something you kind of forget because you're kind of going town to town dealing with town to town. Yeah, you're you're like my biggest problem in this town is like I need to find a diamond so I can get <laughs> the Blues Brothers out of their contract. You know, you kind of forget what you're doing. And Gygus isn't like a threat the whole time. Like you never meet Gygus for the whole game. You you just like there are enemies and most of them are weird things like you know street signs and shit so you're like I don't know like I know Gygus is making this happen but it's a very abstract concept and that's the thing uh, to, to moving right, moving into kind of like the meat of what I think makes this thing special is this game is art and this game is philosophy right the all yeah we talk about trippy backgrounds and these weird enemies but also they help you divorce yourself from what you're fighting in a way even though it's a human or whatever you know it's it's weird hippie guy and like sometimes he pulls out a protractor himself yeah (laughs) and just does nothing right but it also helps to when the enemies they're not trying to divorce you from the enemy it actually feels more effective right um, the example I like, because we haven't really talked about this yet, is when you uh, get Pooh. Yeah. The character. <laughs> Again, totally plausible. They just give you Pooh. They actually never do, though. Not that I know of. Yeah, not that, yeah. Once you get your magic cake, you're just in Pooh, <laughs> Pooh land. God, so, so fun and hard talking about this game. <laughs> Which is clearly... You're in Pooh looking for pussy. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> Sorry for that joke. Uh-oh. <laughs> um... Soundtrack here is incredible. It's you know, Eastern music or whatever, yeah. or East Asian music. Uh, but I was doing stuff around the apartment when I got here. I'm like, I'll do the poo stuff in a second. And I just, usually I just turn on podcasts, but I, do that. I just left the same song playing yeah. the whole time because it really is just that good. Um, and poo's mechanically differently. Like you always like poo's mechanics, where you like after you do this thing, you don't. Food works differently on you. Yeah. So. The, the way poo works, um... Explain, uh, does everyone poo? <laughs> Not sure. No. Only poo. Uh, Pooh's role in the, in the party is to be a middle guy. He hits pretty hard uh, with with physical, and he has really good magic attacks. Not as good as Ness and Paul, respectively, but good. You know? Mm-hmm. So he's, he's an all-rounder. Uh, but... What's interesting is is once you go through uh, the trial with Pooh, which we'll talk about in just a moment, he basically divorces himself from the world, right? He he, it's it's the uh, it's the Buddhist ideal of like ridding yourself of of want, mm-hmm. you know, of, of want of the material world, and by doing so, he finds his inner power, he finds his his true strength, and what that means is that for Pooh. Where everybody else is eating, like, you know, delicious foods and stuff, and that's what restores their health and their side points. Who needs gruel, rice, and water? Yeah. You know? Everybody else, they can drink a bottle of water, like DX water, I think it's called, and they'll get, like, six points, like six power points back, right? Yeah. Who will drink it and get, like, 16? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he, he, he gets less from foreign foods and more from eastern foods. You know, yeah. Uh, so like, you give him a, a a thing of gruel or a thing of rice or a thing of water, and he gets a bunch back, and that's fun, both mechanically because like, he, yes, he's the the eastern guy, right? Yeah. And also philosophically because he's he's Buddhist. Yeah. You know, he's divorced himself from material wants, but he's still in this flesh body, so he has to eat. You know, and that's yeah. it, 
the bare minimum is what restores him the most. Yeah. Into, I forget what they call the trial, but like I think the trial of nothingness. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, like you start and you have to do a trial. And you go to the part, you know, there's not much in this area. You climb to the top of the ladder and you see a face. And this is what I was talking about with divorcing from enemies because it just kind of looks like a person. It's not, it's different. Yeah. And, the, and the thing's talking to you. Yeah, it's just a floating head. Yeah, floating head. And he goes, you know, you don't need your legs. And he takes the legs, and they, the sound of heavy damage, like mortal damage, and your health starts going down rapidly. Yeah. He's like, you don't need your arms, and he, like, delimbs you until you're at zero. And then he's like, uh, then he takes away your sight, and you no longer yeah. see him, and it goes black. And then he like, takes away your ears, you know, and the music stops. Dude, the sound stops. And then, and then he talks, you know, I'm talking directly to your mind. Right, yeah. and just, you know, communicates, like, you get this feeling of actually being nothingness. Because the sounds and the feeling that you've experienced is taking away this game stuff you've been experiencing all the time, right? And every time I play this, I feel like I'm alone in the dark. Yeah. Um, you know, holding my, you know, portable, staring really closely at the screen. And then it ends, and then that song that's incredible just comes right back in. Well, and you're flooded back into the world. Well, because um, there, there's one more thing, right? Because... Um, you become that, the, the Cartesian, you know, f- brain in a jar, you know? Yeah. I, I think therefore I am, but it, the, the idea behind Descartes writing all that was like, you strip away everything. Mm-hmm. He's like, when I strip away everything that I am, all I am is this consciousness, you know? It, but in this trial, he's like, he's like, now you're just, you're just your mind. You know, I'm talking directly to your mind and you have nothing else and you won't need that either. And he takes your mind. Yeah. Right. And that's. When you come back to consciousness, yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, and that, you're that, in pure nothingness for a second, and that is the idea behind, uh, like, you know, the the purest idea behind like Buddhism, right? Is a, a complete divorcing from reality, mm-hmm. right? Because Buddhists they have this they have this philosophy that we are on we're on the wheel of samsara, the wheel of punishment, right? That's what reincarnation is. It is not a reward. It's yeah. not a karmic system. It, it can be a karmic system, but it's like it's not necessarily a karmic system reincarnating as anything is bad. Yeah. It means you didn't do it good enough. You know? Yeah. Try again. Um, and your karma, you know, based on, based on karma, you might come back as, as a higher or a lower being, you know, uh, more, more or less capable of divorcing yourself from reality. But the only way to get off the wheel is to completely divorce yourself from reality, which in a sense is death, you know? Yeah. Um, and while, you know, Pooh doesn't die, that's what that, that's what that whole, you know, confrontation of nothingness means. Yeah. Right? It, is it, it takes everything, including what makes you you. It takes your mind. It, another thing I think the game does really well is it's not forcing a direct message. It puts you into a situation that forces you to think, and then you do without what you will. Right? Yeah. Like the Tenda village where, you know, the outside is the cage to them. Not like making a value judgment about this. It's not like a parody. It's just something that's interesting. And your experience with nothing makes you confront nothing and go back into the game and then be it as you may. You know, it, p- play and grow and learn. What's interesting is the way you get to poo. It right before that is your. I know how to get to poo. You're you're in the you don't know. That was a poop joke, guys. Oh, but everybody poops. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know anymore. Oh, the way you get to Pooh is from that philosophy club in, uh, I forget, Summers? Yeah, uh, Summers. Because Winters and Summers. Yeah, Winters and Summers, then Scarabah, and I forget where Pooh's from. 
uh, Damascus or something? Damascus? No. Damascus. Probably not Damascus. Something like that. But uh, yeah. Uh, when you go into the Stoic Club and eating the eating the cake brings you to brings you into like Pooh's consciousness. But in the Stoic Club, you can talk to everybody, and yeah, there's just a big rock on stage, and they're all like kind of you know pseudo philosophizing about it. But like, there's also a, a woman you'll talk to, and she like everybody just kind of say something, and this woman will be like, "Oh wow, you can't visualize the fall of capitalism? Weird." Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And you're just like, yeah, okay. This is a 1994 game, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, sure, you know? But in the Stoic Club, everybody is just talking nonsense, you know? Uh, most of them, right? Although there's clearly some good philosophy in there. Yeah, yeah. Right? If you can't visualize the fall of capitalism, you're not paying attention at this point. But uh, the Stoics were, you know, this, this ancient uh, Greek philosophy where... They believed in, it is mostly like the basis of like Aristotle's philosophy, his virtue ethics, which is, uh, Aristotle says like the, the way to be ethical is to, is to keep yourself centered. Uh, this idea of like, do not be, do not be a coward, but do not be brash. Do not seek, Mm -hmm. you know, confrontation, but do not shy from it. Yeah. Right. Just sort of chin up, be a man kind of, kind of idea. Right. Always stay in the center. Don't be, don't be violently angry. Don't be, uh, don't let people step all over you, you know, stand up for yourself, but don't be a monster about it. Right. That's a lot of people will ascribe to that idea. And what the Stoics would call that, uh, eudaimonia, how to live a good life. And, and basically it's, it's that idea of like, of like living well is living in the center of things, you know, keeping yourself uh, out of the extremes, but Pooh takes that opposite approach. He's like, he's like, no, the only way, that, like, the philosophy that that it is best is the Buddhist philosophy. Is like, the only way, um, to live well is to live in the in the true extreme, you know. Uh, and they have the they have these differing ideas of like of like how to live properly by divorcing yourself from certain things, right? Yeah. And you can you can sort of decide on how you feel about that, like the game obviously kind of agrees with with the the buddhist philosophy because Pooh becomes a hero you know he's one of the main characters the stoics are clearly shown as like yeah but all but like you know he's one of the characters like you know people do things differently right yeah like, well the stoics are like made fun of in the in yeah the, you know but also nobody in the in the club is actually espousing stoic philosophy it's just called the stoic club you know yeah so it's interesting it's just something to think about like when you're when you're going through these things like how do people Feel about stuff. Like, some philosophy is nonsense, you know? Um, yeah. Anything Jordan Peterson says, right? Yeah. Even though he's clearly read some of the people he's talking about, he doesn't... He didn't understand. Is that clear? <laughs> I mean, enough to say the things that they said, yeah, but yeah. not to understand it very clearly, you know? Well, he just says lies a lot, too. <laughs> he also just lies a lot. Um, but you can't, you can't lie about Derrida if you don't, like know who Derrida is at the very least. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, it, it's it's just interesting, like, to think about how, how how you think you should live, you know? And Pooh shows one way and the Stoics show another way. Yeah. So, uh, I don't have, like, just kind of a side, really, on philosophy. It's just it's just fun. That That's the kind of thing that Earthbound makes you think about. You know yeah, I mean? and I was... I, see, it's funny, because I was thinking about, like, well, like, 
what would be my ideal, like my ambition? And I think like the best thing that could possibly happen is somehow Kojima listens to all of her episodes and then makes some game where it's like a sentient fish pole. Yeah. Pulling out the sun from a black hole and then like Fish Cryington, the main character, right. gets put into the next Smash Brothers. And he's like, thanks, your podcast made me think. And everyone's like, you, made, you went further off the deep end because of you guys. <laughs> that is the dream. Yeah. I want to drive Kojima into madness. <laughs> I'm really proud of my Kojima naming Fish Crankton. <laughs> Fish Crankton. Yeah. Like that. Uh, <laughs> I was also trying my, not to just... My oh. name's Sam. Just Sam? What, is that like like for Sammy or... No, Salmon. <laughs> <laughs> salmon Crankton. Sam. Death go lovely. <laughs> so it sounds like those James Bond things. I don't just... You're in charge of the company, so I have to do it. <laughs> What's your girlfriend's name? Weak. Yeah. Uh, Why is she named that? Stop sending me a picture of, of an egg. My <laughs> girlfriend thinks I'm cheating on her. I can't explain. <laughs> I don't know why I'm getting it. I cannot explain it to someone yeah, else. Yeah. 4 a.m. every night. <laughs> don't understand it. Okay. It's just real fun. Uh, we should just have one episode that's just us making up Kojima games. Oh, that'd be excellent. Jesus. Yeah. But this is spiraling to the, you know, the thesis that we said several times, the sum of all the parts, right? It's like a, a lot. Of, there was a point in the middle of the game where you're like, I mean, the game's charming and stuff, but like, I, I, you seem like way higher on it, like kind of like near the middle. Uh, and I said, go fuck yourself. <laughs> I was like so mad. Uh, uh, because, you know, and when I was doing the combat, it's just like, I remember this combat being better, but I'm also still having fun, right? If yeah. that makes sense. Um, or and I kept trying to explain like what I liked about the characters w- without like a lot of in-game text for it, right? And I think there's two things at the end that just make everything set in place: Magikant and Gygas. Um, we're going more deeper into Gygas later, like the true ending of it. But that's one thing people talk a lot about is that final boss fight. Where the we have had these trippy backgrounds, but like this one's unpleasant. Yes. Right. And at one point, pretty hard not to see a fetus. Right. Yeah. It's called mother. Like this seems intentional. It looks kind of like those. Uh, I don't know if anyone has these anymore because phones exist. But those 3D yeah, pictures yeah. where you like you unfocus your eyes. Yeah. You unfocus your eyes, you see a 3D thing, and it's like, whoa, that was cool before phones, and <laughs> probably still is cool. It's probably healthier. Maybe not for your eyes. Um. But it looked like that. It's changing the whole battle. It's moving. It's getting narrow and faster. And it's unnerving. And it is unpleasant. And when the battle ends, it just fades away into nothingness. And it really brings me back to that poo moment. Um, where the silence of nothingness, like the actual just being in nothing, is such a powerful escape, right? And it's actually like, sometimes the nothingness blocks out the good but sometimes it blocks out the bad but also what is the value of nothing like it just it it it, everything funnels down a point that i think says a lot more than a lot of games do but it also you know we're working on kojima for a second but like isn't the kojima way of saying things which is i'm saying this you know yeah and that can be really powerful and it's you know recontextualized but um among two things 
you, the person holding the controller, and Ness, the childhood we're representing. Yeah, and I think like now is the right time, I think, to to talk about Magic Camp. Because when I was when I was kind of low on the game, it was around the foresight area where I've been playing, you know, a lot of the game at that point. Like I was already halfway through. And I'm like, yeah, it's fun and charming, but like that's all it's been, which is enough. But I'm like, what what really is what's this draw that people have? It can't just be this. It can't just be moles who say they're the third strongest or getting trout flavored yogurt. Like it's not enough. Especially because like when people talk about Earthbound, they're like it's yeah, not people <sighs> people talk about like it changed their lives, and I'm like it it just can't be that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then we get to Magicant. Um. How do we get to Magic Andrew? You get the last melody. Right. So you get the last melody in the game. Um, you've been collecting, you know, eight of them. And the... A real quick aside, because I like this melody thing. And I'm going to forget it otherwise. Um, and the melodies, like, all allude to Magic Hunt, But, like, you get... Um, they do a bit on establishing this stuff early. Because every time you get a melody... It's Ness kind of flashing back to a childhood thing, right? Yeah. It's a baby in a red cap. He gets a faint smell of pussy yeah. or whatever. And they're just like little landmarks. It's like a giant's footprints or like a, a puddle that rain is only above this one puddle or whatever. Yeah. Just like little things. But they're just these faint nostalgic memories to Ness. And you know the music indicates it's nostalgic. And you feel like you feel taken away for a second before, you know, the game puts you right back into the game. And then Magicon is what you get after the last one. And the the last melody is the has the wall with the text on it. Oh right? yeah, mm. yeah. So the there's this wall with text on it, and it's like the the text is scrolling, like um, picture like you know when it, I don't know what to call them, like one of those like scrolling text box. You know what I mean? Sure. <laughs> uh, like a like a like a ticker kind of thing, right? Yeah, and it's just giant and surreal. It's, it's this time. huge wall, and it's like written in like gems and lights and stuff, and it's just like I'm Ness, I'm you. You know, and you're you're talking to yourself from like the future or mm-hmm. something in this wall, or maybe an alternate you, or yeah, it, or, or yourself, you know, your inner yeah. you, yeah, or or it's your inner thoughts, and the wall isn't sure what it is, you know, and that's your last melody, and every every time you get a melody, you get part of a total melody. It plays a it plays a few notes, and yeah. then you get a memory of of you know being much younger or something like that, and the last one is confrontation. Of, like, a future or an alternate you. A potential you. And you get the last melody, and they all they all play together. Right? They all come into their own... Their, a, a song that's more than just the melodies. You know? Greater than the sum of its parts. And you get teleported into Magicant. And Magicant is within... It's this magic place inside your own mind. And in there, you find uh, your friends. Your family. You find, like, your living room and your mom and your sister are in there. And you can talk to them and stuff. Um, you find just a bunch of, like, weird enemies and stuff that you fought before. You find a snowman, uh, who, who just talks about being a snowman. You find the grave of Buzz Buzz. Yeah. And you're like, I forgot about Buzz Buzz. But the, in, in my brain, there's a grave for him. Yeah. Know? Um, and it, it's next to a house, and you go in the house, and there's these little bird guys. And you can get a bird guy to come help you. And they're called Flying Men. You might remember them for the reason you turned off level obstacles in the last Super Smash Brothers. Because <laughs> you can't... Magicon's level? I don't know if you remember. Oh, that. I don't know. Yeah, the Magicon level. Yeah. And the Flying Men will just show up and just wreck your shit. That's brutal. Yeah. Uh, but so, 
you can get the flying men and they can help you in, in fights, and they'll, but they'll die. They take damage and they die. Just like a teddy bear would in the game. But if you go back, they also get graves. Yeah. You know, you can fill a whole graveyard with flying men, right? You'll you'll talk to random people. You'll talk to younger versions of yourself, and and they'll yeah. they'll have things to say to you. You'll find you'll find Belch, the the vomit monster you mm. fought in um in the fly honey place, and who kidnapped Paula later, and you you beat him twice, and he'll just be like, he'll just be like, you didn't just you didn't just defeat me. You killed my pride. I'll yeah. never forgive you for that. You yeah, know? yeah. You'll find another monster, and he'll and uh I I don't, I don't remember who it is. But there, there's another monster. I think it's just kind of a random monster. And he's just like, it still hurts where you hit me. Yeah. You know? And you're like, you're carrying this weight, you know? And it's not all a weight. Some of it's some mm-hmm. of it's just charming fun. Some of it's your family. Some of it's people you've never met. Some of it's Buzz Buzz, who you forgot about, but somewhere in the back of your mind is there. Some of it's the enemies you've killed and, and the representations you have of them in your head. It's not Belch who's there. It's your... Concept of Belch, mm-hmm. who's like, I'll never forgive you for beating, for killing my pride. Yeah, you know, and you're going, you're you go through this whole area, and you get the you get the magic camp bat, like the best weapon in the game, you know. Um, it might be one better actually. Uh, and at the at the end, you're you're literally you're waiting through a swamp, and there's only boss monsters, like mini boss monsters, and they even have the star swirl. Like normally, the the game swirls when you go into a combat. But bosses have a specific kind of uh, curved star swirl, right? And all these mini-bosses have that. And you fight a couple of them, and you get to a Manny statue. And there's this Manny statue in your mind. Yeah, which is, represents the, like, the corrupting evil you've yeah. seen up to this point. We, you know? We've seen them in a, in a few places, and that's always been the... That's always been where... Uh, it's been the power node for Gygus mm-hmm. in that area, you know? And you find one in your own mind. And you you fight it, and you have to fight this, this version of yourself. You have to fight the evil in your own heart. You know, and when it's a it's a tough fight, you know, and yeah. when when you finally beat it, uh, I hadn't really noticed the whole time, but the whole time you're in Magic Ant, you're in your you're in your PJs again, you're in your jammies, you know, yeah, and you're walk you're just walking around and you know fighting strong monsters and dealing with the trauma of your past and things like that, and you finally fight uh, the ultimate evil inside your heart, the the thing that would hold you back, the thing that if guy if you ever faced Gygus, that's where he would crush you. Yeah. You get in your mind and turn you and turn you bad, right? And as you beat it, Ness like floats up, and his jammies go away, and you he gets his adventuring gear back, right? Yeah. He, he he transforms, and then he gets a fuck ton of health and and psychic points. Yeah, the amount of mana you get from here is astronomical. Uh, it's unbelievable. It's more than it's it's easily double what you already have. Yeah. I had like a couple hundred, and it gave me like three hundred more. Uh, Unbelievable amount. Yeah, Ness becomes the legendary Super Saiyan. Yeah. yeah, but it's it's by it's by confronting his own demons and fighting uh, the the darkness inside himself, and he, he literally changes from his PJs into his adventuring gear, and it's this this beautiful metaphor for like growing up. You know? Yeah, it's not it, it it's not uh the journey that you're on. You don't grow up by being the chosen one and fighting the ultimate evil. You don't just become a a better person or yeah. an adult through that. You you grow up through this introspection. You know, and it just it hit me so hard when I saw it. I was like, the second I saw it, I was like, I was already texting. I'm just, I'm just like, this is it. This I get it right yeah. now. I get it. You know, and it you you look back on the on the beginning of the game where your mom makes you change out of your jammies and stuff, and you're just like, yeah, everything just makes sense now. It all yeah, it all it comes full circle, and you're like, you're like, is this whole game 
just about growing up. Like, did I just get fully coolied? You know, fully coolied. Um, and it's not like it's not exactly that because you could I could stretch some some ideas to, towards like what happens when you go fight Gygus and stuff. It's not all of that, but it's it is that's part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, part of the game is a journey of growing up. Part of the game is a satire of capitalism. Part of the game is just being charming and funny for the sake of it, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's just enjoying life, you know? Part of the game is a deep introspective philosophy about what is meaningful. Uh, part of the game is deciding, uh, is seeing that adults don't have the answers and you have to do things for yourself, you know? Yeah. And all these things combine, and I, literally I just got to the end of Magic Hand, I was like, this is it. Like this is this is what changed people's lives. Yeah, you know, and it's like it's it's that's kind of what it is. Is a game about life, right? Because yeah. if you take the sum of the parts of your day, a lot of times you're like, oh, Jesus Christ, life's depressing. I, I went to that box to make money and then yeah. left, and then was too tired to do anything else or whatever. But you know, life's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I like living. I, I used the analogy a little bit, and you know, you said too, but uh. The, the, the Fooly Cooly of it to me is something uh, specific because the reason I like Fooly Cooly so much is because it's visually amazing, it's auditorially amazing, and there's actually like a lot going on. Like some people are like Fooly Cooly is about nothing. You're dumb and wrong. Um, <laughs> Expand your brain a little bit. Yeah. But this game is that way. It always looks and sounds amazing. Like, I really think it's some of the best sound design yeah. I've, I've ever heard in a game. And all the music is varied and diverse. And sometimes you just go to a concert and the Blues Brothers play, and they somehow made an even better concert in Mother 3. Yeah. Like, they're so good at this. Um, But it does boil down to so many different things, right? Like, you're when, you, when you're in Foresight, at one point it becomes Moonside, and there's all these Dolly clocks. Uh, and it's, you know, it's just... It really is accentuating how it is a surrealist work. And the only way to progress is to get a guy with a mustache, but an invisible guy starts following you who has, who says he has a mustache (laughs) and like a gold tooth. Yeah. A gold tooth. Yeah. Thank you. And it doesn't like that doesn't mean much, right? It's just, it's just surreal and weird. Right. But like you come back and you go into the sewer Passing, going through the, uh, what do you call those? Museums. And you just have this big ass dinosaur skeleton bone. Yeah. Whatever you call that. Skeleton? Mm-hmm. No, sure. <laughs> Sounds wrong as a dinosaur. <laughs> should have a better word for that. Uh, and you can't even see it all. Right? Like, the, it's not all in frame, if that makes sense. Yeah. The dinosaur bone. And it, like, brings you into that museum. Right? Like, it centers you sometimes in reality for a second, only to completely take you out of it. Right? But the way that it does, I think it's the most effective, is several times, Magicant, the end of the game, Pooh, they bring you inside yourself. Right? They bring you introspectively. They allow, The game allows you to look inward uh, while also being nostalgic, while also having fun, while also just... Playing like also because you just want to play a game this afternoon. You want to like get off work and beat a boss and feel good about yourself. But also, you can beat a boss, feel good about yourself, and then think about yourself. And there's something about that that like I think very few game developers uh, can ever come close to. Yeah, even even when we look at like Kojima games, 
I, I do this a lot where, uh, and I think this is a problem people have with Hulu Cooley, just to, to wrap all these things together, is it's easy enough to look at uh, a, a single work of art and be like, what is this saying? Looking for a central meaning, you know? Yeah. And I did that a little bit where I'm like, I'm like, oh, Earthbound is a game about growing up. And like, it's not, not true. But that's why I listed off a bunch of other things that it also is, you know? Mm. Earthbound is an entire uh, fucking catalog of, of different ideas all put together uh, and not all represented equally, mm -hmm. you know? Earthbound is not about one thing, and Fully Cooley is not about one thing. Yes, it's it's about growing up, but it's about growing up, uh, and it's it's telling you that story through a bunch of different perspectives, Yeah, you know? Uh, uh, when you play, like, a Kojima game... Uh, well, like, Metal Gear Solid 1 has, has a bunch of different perspectives. It's really fun, right? But then you play something like Death Stranding, and you're like, okay, you, you seem to have a very specific thing you're looking for, you know? And it's easier to look at something like Death Stranding and be like, be like okay, well, this is what it's about, you know? Yeah. Uh, like, this is the idea. But even those games, you know, do have a lot of nuance to them. And I think it's easy to look at a piece of art and say, uh, ignore that nuance and just say, what's the central theme? But Earthbound just defies your ability to do that in the same way that Fully Cooly does. It's... It, even if you think it has a central theme, it's like, well, there's a lot, a lot of other stuff going on. So you need to pay more attention to all the other stuff that's going on, you know? Um, and that's why I think it's, it's, it's one of those games, like you, you need to play it to really understand it, to like understand everything that's going on. Um, and you need to have an open mind about all those things because you're not going to get one thing out of it. it. You just, you just play it and like have it change you inside. And like, when I say let it change you, I have, I have a really specific example. In, uh, I, I'm trying to remember when it is in the game. I think it's after you beat Gygus. Uh, so you beat Gygus and all your friends have to leave. They're like, well, we got to go home now, you know? And they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk. We'll see each other, you know? And I mean, that, that hits hard enough if you've ever, if you've like left high school, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, it can be really difficult as, as your friends uh, move away and go on with their lives and stuff. Like, ah, the thing that joined us together, we don't have that anymore, so we gotta find something else. And it ends with Ness going home alone, but it's nighttime. And I go back to Onet, and I'm like, Onet's so much smaller than I remember it, you know? Uh, like, like it's the same town, but I've been to so many places that are so much bigger. You know, I've spent hours crawling through mazes and caves and stuff, and I'm like, Onet is so simple and tiny, and I go up the um, the hillside to, towards my house. And I'm like, I remember the way. And then I, I like, I like pass a house and I'm like, I, and I, I, I get stopped. Um, I can't go any further. And I'm like, no, I thought that, I thought the hill was further up, but I was wrong. The hill's just smaller than I remember it. Yeah. When, when I first started the game and I'm like, is my house around here? And I look and I'm like, oh, that's my house. Yeah. The two houses I passed, that was my house and my neighbor. And I remember at the beginning of the game, how big everything felt, how long it took to walk all the way around to go up to the meteor, you know, and how long it took to come back. And then when you, when you leave your house for the first time, how long it takes to get down to Onet and how big everything felt. And I'm like, I don't even recognize my own house. Everything feels smaller because I, you know, I'm not the same person I was when I started this journey. It, everything has changed, you know, and that, that hit me so hard when I, when I was doing it, I was just like, I don't even recognize my home anymore. You know, yeah, yeah, I feel different. And that's a really powerful feeling. And the end of the game is just so weird. Because, like, once you get all the melodies, it's like, time to fight Gygus. And then you try to, like, 
your organic bodies can't get there. You're going to have to be You have robots. to go back in time to when the world was like Pangea. So you can even get to Gygus. Yeah, and so you're all these like adorable little robots that still have your clothes on. Yeah. And you're going through like one of the hard, I mean, not one of the, the hardest dungeon in the game by a lot. Yeah, by a lot. And you know, they tell you, they're like, please, please prepare. You know, so I, I had to call my sister like 14 times to be like, pick this up, pick this up, pick this up, pick this up. And then yep. bought, like fixed all my inventory. And when you get to the end, the room where Gygus is in is so fucking cool looking. Like it looks like all these little like, t- like, Sounds gross, like intestine tubes, but made yeah. out of metal, all forming around a central po- point. And there's Porky, your bitch-ass fucking neighbor. <laughs> um, and it just starts off where there's, like, Gygus is the background, and Porky's there, and it feels like Porky kind of centers you. Yeah, Porky's, and, like, in this weird UFO spacecraft, though. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, like, a, it's, it's like a spider's thing. Yeah. Uh, and, they, and it's, like... Even has like a name where it's like ultra defense, like ultra armored, yeah. you know. And, and so like fighting Porky and the thing feels normal. If that makes sense, yeah. right? Like it feels like that's what bosses are. But once Porky's gone, which is early in the fight, the Gygus is this unknowable force in the background, a constantly changing background. We kind of you know already mentioned when it attacks, even though it's just kind of casting lightning sometimes or other stuff, it's uh. I've read the exact wording, but it's like, Gygus attacks you in an unknowable way. Yeah. Right? It's just, it's just weird. Like, the whole time. It's, it's um, like, you, yeah, I forget the exact wording, but it's like, you can't, you can't conceive of, of the nature of Gygus' attack. Yes, like yeah, that. exactly. And, like, if you spy on him, it says it's weak to brain shock, which I really like, because nothing, he, yeah. I can't hit anything with brain shock. It's, like, straight up the first time I've used it. But you can hear Gygus, Gygus is, so you're doing it just to get turns, because Gygus is kind of intense. And there comes to a point where you have no idea how much health this guy has. Like, you don't know what this is going to entail, how many fights, you know, like, it's an RPG. It can have a thousand forms or whatever. Um, it can manifest in a way that is fathomable. You know, you don't know. But as the background changes, Paula prays, and it reaches someone. I think her parents. I'm not quite sure. And it's it's basically Spirit Pop, right? Like, they're giving yeah, straight up. Her, her energy. And then if you pray again, you see, some, you see like, the Runway 5, yeah. right? The Blues Brothers. And you keep praying, and you keep seeing other people over the world, you know, like, lending their energy. Uh, yeah, the people you've met along the way. You know, it, it, it'll give you a brief text box that'll say, like, uh, they just stop whatever they're doing. They feel like they have to, they feel like they have to give you their their prayers, you know? Yeah. Um, they, like, lift their hands up to the sky or whatever. Uh, and then that goes on for a while until one prayer seeps into the darkness, right? It says your 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 prayer like was swallowed by Yeah, the your your prayer is swallowed by the darkness. You can feel helpless at that point. You got mad cuz you stopped praying and then died. Well, right? Yeah. Well, we'll talk about it. At, but but you know what I'm saying like yeah. swallowed by the darkness was defeating. And that's kind of like despite of your prayer getting swallowed by the darkness, the answer is praying again. The answer is just believing. And when you pray, it starts a text box, like a like a hangman looking thing, yeah. where some of the letters shows up, goes blank pray, like you might say like like a couple of letters, and then you keep doing it until it spells out your name. And for me, the first time I played that, I had no idea how it knew. Yeah. I just forgot that Tony calls you 
after so many steps and ask you who's the person holding the controller. And he checks one more time to make sure you do it right. And I'm just like, how the fuck do they know who I am? And then it's you prayed and that's how you beat. That's yeah. It just kills Gygus by itself. You don't have to do any more actions. You, the player, has defeated like the darkness and the evil inside of everyone. Inside of Ness, inside of you, inside of everyone you've met. And there's something that, like, there's a through line where it's your inside and the inside of... It's like, it just feels like this, like, true level of, like, empathy. And once you beat the game and all your party splits up, you get little letters from Tony, from every from Paula's parents, yeah. from Pooh's king. You see the people who care about them, and they go home and they live their lives. And then when credits roll... You just see the entire cast of they see you know, every through each area they just cast of characters like Dungeon Man and yeah uh, the the guy at the bazaar who helped you out uh, forgot his name uh, the shark guy the 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 gang leader in the first town you just see the cast of characters and you realize there's just so many people like in this game right and they actually like I I was I'm always surprised by how many NPCs that there are and that I felt emotional connections to like I felt connections to like everyone in the world uh and you just see your memories right and it's it, i just think it's a really like it, it's the what an ending should be right the ending just sits with you right like a lot of these games like a lot you know drag i love dragon quest but most dragon quests just end like you beat the boss and they're like good job hero you're king now or whatever yeah and this I feel like a re like oh invigoration like with life. You know, I have a poster in my room uh, that a friend gave me that I've had for well over a decade. Uh and it's it's you know, a drawing of Earthbound where the dad calls like, "Hey son, you know, you want to hang it up?" And Ness is like, "I can't." And hangs up and like somberly walks back into his journey and goes back into his life. And in you know, feeling the weight of like I ha- like I want to just be with my loved ones, but I have to keep doing the thing that I'm doing. You know, that like it sits with me really well. Uh, and I keep it around all the photos uh, and things my dead mother drew for me. Because it could, like, I think the game is powerful enough that it connects me to those things. It's not just about, like, it isn't just about Mole 3, right? Which yeah. is great. And I like it. And it makes me happy. Or the Blues Brothers song, which is great and funny. And I will, I will. Make you watch the concert twice, you know? <laughs> like, it's, it's about being who you are, you know? It's about, it's about, it's about, it's about the purest fundamental thing that we have, which is ourselves, our introspection, our interiors, that I think is really profound. Yeah. And I, I think, I was going to kind of complain about the Gygus fight, but I don't really think it's relevant. Like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of parts of the game uh, where I don't think that they really respect your time. Yeah. Um, there, there's a lot, like most of the dungeons are, are big mazes and that gets old, you know, a lot of times you have to traverse them more than once. Um, there, there, there's a, a thing that's funny, which is you, you go to Mr. Saturn Phillips and they're like, oh, there's a door behind the waterfall. You have to wait for three minutes and that's the password. So you literally have to go walk behind the waterfall and just put your controller down for three minutes, three full minutes. And then they just let you in and it's like, okay, yeah, that's, that's whatever. It took me a long time to beat Gygus because even being told I had to pray, how so? I, I prayed once, and it, it gives you the message being like, 
being like, Gaius' defense is weakened. And I'm like, fuck yeah, let's do some damage. And I start doing damage. I'm, I fought him for like a half hour, but I'm like, this isn't working, is it? You know? Um, and I, I was just, I was getting frustrated and I, I prayed more and then it got swallowed by the darkness. So I'm like, surely I can fight him now. And that wasn't enough either. And I, I just didn't really get the Gygas fight and they don't give you help on that. I can complain about those things and they're legitimate complaints, right? But while a game doesn't necessarily, at least in, in uh, uh, quite a number of spots, it doesn't really respect your time. It always feels like it respects your intelligence and it respects your, your emotional uh, intelligence, mm-hmm. your ability to interact with what's going on. So like, Maybe sometimes you're bored. Maybe sometimes you're tired. Maybe sometimes you're annoyed. But never is it going to hold your hand uh, when when these big story moments happen. When these when these moments that are supposed to impact you uh, come up, it always it always just gives you enough perspective, enough space to say to to let you deal with those on your own. You know? Yeah. To to make those moments matter in in yourself, and that's that to me is the true value of Earthbound. It's not. It's not necessarily the combat system or how much fun you're going to have playing through the whole game. It's what you get out of it. It's it's how much you engage with, with yeah. these important concepts. And, and it's it's why like so that it creates an instant nostalgia. Like people when they think about Earthbound, it's like I love that game. So yeah, you know, and just like every you know, like you just turned the game on. Like we we were doing Last of Us too, right? And you were playing Earthbound here, and I was just like, I just want to watch Earthbound yeah. so bad because you had started. I hadn't started my my file yet because I've already been in, and I was. Just starting when I was starting it. Um, I will say with the time thing, uh, I think it's just a philosophy of how games change. Yeah. Back in the day, you buy a bunch of games, and, and like length was a selling point, right? Yeah. It's just like, look how big this RPG is. Um, and now you're like, well, you like, you can watch anything you want on your television. You, there's a thousand games. You can pay three bucks to play Vampire Survivor. You know, like, uh, whatever, right? So it's like. Making you go back through dungeons was like uh, not annoying back in the yeah, day. Yeah, like nowadays, uh, a one in two hundred fifty six drop for for the Sword of Kings is fucked up and mean, you know. Yeah, but back in the day, if if you and all your friends were playing Earthbound, and you're the only one that got that drop, they'd be like, "What's that?" Yeah, yeah. And you're like, "Yeah, I got the Sword of Kings in there," and they're like, "I didn't get the Sword of Kings," and maybe you replay the whole fucking game or something. You know what I mean? You. Like that—that's what those kind of things are yeah. are valuable to, because you can't look them up online. Yeah, no, nineteen ninety four. So I beat I beat uh, Dragon Quest five, and that's a game uh, that's actually inspired Pokemon. It's the the monster catching yeah. game. It was the Dragon Quest can catch monsters, and because I was a completionist at the time, I'm like I gotta catch every monster. Uh, Barbados is a one hundred and two fifty six percent one out of two fifty six to join your party. Jesus, uh, which is I think the sort of king's drop rate. Um, Barbados is. is a moose firm that's blue. Yep. Once I caught that Barbados, I knew I was going to turn the game off and be <laughs> done with that file. That's the last thing I needed to do. It added about six, seven hours to my game. Yeah. By itself. Uh, and I think that's the last time I felt the need to do that. <laughs> and you're like, one, I was, you text me while I was sleeping. And you're like, I'm going to try to get the 156. And I'm like, <laughs> if you do, I'm inter- I'm gonna talk to you. Like, don't next time. Uh uh, cause yeah, th- those that's a preposterous rate. And like I I'm not gonna judge it that much for it because it's like you only know because online. You wouldn't know that sort. No the, the the average person at the time, 
you know, unless fucking Nintendo Power told you to, um, which they might have, <laughs> you, you wouldn't know that that's a sword drop rate. It's just an incredibly rare thing that can happen. That's probably an Easter egg or whatever. You know, like, where's the last... Does he ever get a weapon? And in my mind, it's like, well, he's a martial art guy. He'll never get a weapon. Of there, course he There's does. actually a bunch of items that are two, one in 256. You probably got none of them. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's probably just there because sometimes you're like, what is that? You know? And, for and, your, I mean, you for can, your 256 playthrough or whatever. Yeah. Like, so, sometimes, uh, to some degree, they mirror, like, the ultimate weapons and stuff like that from Final Fantasy, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but the, they're, the cool thing is they're not particularly important. <laughs> like, you, yeah, yeah. you, you, you should beat the game. It's not, yeah. Uh, and they're not going to trivialize the game either. Like, the, the last area, you can be level 99, and it'll still be challenging. Mm-hmm. You know? that It's designed to be that way. So, that that's good. But, yeah, my, my takeaway from Earthbound is it's, it's, it is so much more than the sum of its parts. You know? You can be like, well, combat's only so much, and the story's only so much, and, you know, the charm only goes so far. But you, you put all of these things together... And you think about them, and they just stick with you. And I think that's what people mean when they're like, "Yeah, Earthbound." You know, they don't. They're not thinking. They're not thinking back to how much fun it was to fight a particular boss. They're thinking about how that game changed their life. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, and the last thing I wanted to talk about um, is, is I was going to say two things. Uh, is a myriad of things like that. Look at me evolving. I learned it from Earthbound. Um, as you go through the game, at pretty much random, like, just set points in the game, a little camera guy will come down. Oh, he'll yeah. He'll spin down, take a picture of you, uh, and then and, and leave. Like, and you're like, oh, cool. And usually it's like, it's like you outside the Runway 5 Theater. You, your yeah. whole party, uh, back at, you know, Pooh's throne room. It, it, right? It's almost always, uh, entering a city for the first time, or just after beating a boss, you know. Or entering a specific area, it's it's always like kind of a notable thing, but it happens so often. You're like, these are not all notable. Yeah, m- notes around things that you might remember, right? And as the credits roll, it shows all the ones they because t- you're not going to get all of them. Yeah, right. Um, and if you did, you did something really obtuse, and it brings you d- down by memory lane. But there's one thing I did not experience myself, but I shared an old article that's not even online anymore uh, that taught me about a little thing in the game that I never knew about. And you even notice the possibility of it, but it was another thing. Is like, please don't grind for hours to see this thing. <laughs> uh, early in the game, there's a guy selling a house. Yeah. He says, you can buy this house. And you see the money, and likely you're like, well, I'll just wait till I get that money. And you come back. He's gone, and the door's locked. You can never get in that house. You have to do it in the first, like, area or two before it's reasonable to get that amount of money. Right, so you have to fight level one enemies and get like five dollars at a time to spend like I don't know ten thousand, some super high amount yeah. of money uh, to buy this house. And you go in the house if you buy it, if you grind forever for hours and hours and hours. And the game is from an isometric point of view, which is it's not top down like Pokemon; it's coming in at an angle, right? Yeah. And if you open the house, the two back walls that you can't see from the outside because of the way the game is are missing. They just don't exist. It is a two-walled house with, like, a broken bed and the spring coming out, right? And it's the only ca- uh, drawer in the game, like, cabinet, you can open up and find something in it. And in it is, a, like, a magazine article that's, like, a bunch of text that basically boils down to the moral of the story of uh, check something out before you buy it. Yeah. And then, right after that, 
the camera guy comes and takes a picture of you. Uh, and that might be infuriating, right? <laughs> you might have granted a whole bunch and the game just bullies you for a joke. But then you would 100% see that picture at the end of the game. Yeah. And you probably laugh at that point. Or you, you the guy you loan money from probably will ask you for money that he loans you money in the deep darkness. And the joke will, like, solidify. And there's something that's so brave and poetic about the way that, like, like you, they, they trust your intelligence and uh, your emotional and mental intelligence. They also trust your sense of humor. <laughs> they tr- And they trust themselves to prank you in ways that generally are really funny. Yes. Uh, and, and you also have to remember, these games are for kids, right? Yeah. Especially in the 90s. The, it was kids playing these games. It's not. It's not us, like grown adults, looking back and taking video games as a as a, as a serious hobby. You know. Yeah. These were kids with a with an SNES, and they're like playing Ninja Gaiden and Earthbound. You know, and like that's great, but it's it's much harder to trust the emotional intelligence of a child mm-hmm. than it is you know grown people who are going to talk about your game you know online and shit. You know, they didn't have the they didn't have games journalism and and critics and all of that. They didn't have Twitter. That's going to, you know, praise the shit out of your game and be like, look at all this nuance. These were kids. Yeah. And they're like, they just have to get it. If they grind, if they grind for, you know, six, seven hours to get the money to buy this house, they just have to get it. They just have to get how funny that is. Yeah. yeah. And hopefully by the end of the game, they do get it. And they're trusting you to do that. I just, I appreciate the shit out of that, you know? I legit want to check old Game Facts and see if someone's just fuming at the mouse because they even, did this. I don't think Game Facts existed yet. Yeah, interesting. I yeah. think that was, like, 97, 98. That's what I love about the game. Like, not that it's just weird and different and, like, you know, has all this stuff to say. It trusts itself to be weird. It trusts itself to try things that... It wasn't trying to be... It's parroting Dragon Quest. It's not trying to be Dragon Quest. Yeah. It's trying to be Mother, right? And that's something I think a lot of modern game companies could learn from. And as you, if you listen to this whole episode start to finish, you're pretty cool. Yeah. But also, uh, when Ross was describing indie games, you see how every indie game is just like, it's like a shoot, first person shooter, platformer, you know, there's so many words mashed together, but in a good way, because we're exploring our design space, right? Instead of making, you know, Assassin's Creed knockoff or whatever, you know, whatever modern AAA game you want to critique at the time. Because you as a developer uh, can dare to inspire people and try something new and believe that it's good. <laughs> yes. And when they when you do that, you might make a bunch of people's favorite game of all time. Yeah. And some, you know, some games are going to be homages to great games, you know. Uh, we're going to, like we said, we're going to play Undertale uh, next month. You'll, you'll be hearing about that, and that's a direct homage to, to Earthbound. Undertale is some of people's favorite game of all time. Yeah. Undertale is actually incredible, right? And all it's doing, I mean, it's not not all it's doing, but a big thing it's doing is homaging another game that's that's everybody's favorite game. You know? But also doing it in cool and unique ways. Yeah, it, it's it's changing everything. Um, it's bringing in genuine characters and things like that. Um, Ultra Kill is a lot of people's favorite game now, right? This game came out in 2020 the worst year ever yeah you know oh incredible that we that we get a game of that caliber coming out i think it's made by one person you know unbelievable that 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 something like that is coming out and when you look at other games 
uh, in the AAA space that come out, it's just not even... I don't even know how you get excited about them anymore. You know? Like, if it's not from software, or it's not Kojima, what's the point? Yeah. Frankly. You know? they Literally, probably the best AAA game that's come out um, in the last 10 years, you know, that's not those two, is, is probably like God of War Ragnarok. You know what I mean? I mean, you like Ghost of Tsushima. If you count that triple A. Oh, I do love Ghost of Tsushima. Yeah, we're not going to say... And we'll, and, critique, we'll critique this more as we're going... I was going to say, like, I kind of view indie games into three categories. Uh, nostalgic Revival. Yeah. Right? Meg Castlevania, Metrovanias. Right? Um, with that squirrel with a gun? <laughs> You're a cat? Oh, my God. And, oh, that's, that's weird. And hunting Pokemon. Yeah, yeah. For sport. Uh, no, and the third is... Well, that's a new genre. Yep, you know yep. that's well, that's you combine a lot of things together, and that sounds fun. Yeah. So, like, yeah, of course, indie games also homage stuff, and you know, uh, take after each other or whatever. But it's like, I think AAA, you get a lot more like, and you know, this does happen in indie too. But you get like, yeah, everything needs to have have a survival crafting element to it, and everything has to have the same sort of like level tree into it. And you look at um, AAA in any like five year stretch. You're like, remember when Halo was really popular and they put markers on the map for everything? Every game will have markers on the map, no matter the context. Yeah. Uh, because they're all because they just look at where the money went and they don't know why the money went there. So they're just like, well, we just have to copy that, right? Yeah. Instead of like doing what they built, like instead of giving a creator license to do what he thinks is great. Fucking Earthbound has a big map. Like, theory, you know, if you conceive of their, their all the towns and stuff together, it's a big area to cover. Um, and it's easy to forget what you're doing. They have a guy with a big sign that says hint. And you can just pay him money. He's in every town. Yeah. And you can pay him money. And it'll just tell you what to do next. And, like, I love that. Because it doesn't underestimate my ability to play the game. But sometimes I spend a, a couple of hours in a dungeon and I come out and I'm like, I have trout flavored yogurt and I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the, I'll go pay that guy $75 and he'll just be like, yeah, the mayor of the town wants trout flavored yogurt. Maybe you should check him out, you know? And, and, and like, money's not a problem. So no, it's never. No. And you can also travel to it. He is in every town and he goes up in every town. You can teleport back to other towns and his prices lower in other towns. Like, you can teleport back to a net. And pay him five dollars yeah. if you want to. You know, it doesn't matter, but you can. Um, and if you're if if you're on the switch, you can cheat. You can pay him and then rewind time before you paid him. <laughs> <laughs> Min-maxing too much for a game, a charming game about growing up where money doesn't matter. One time, honestly, one time I um I paid him for the hint, and then I started going, and I was like, like uh, a like thirty forty five seconds later, I was like, fuck, I forgot the hint. And what I did is I. I rewound time, but I didn't actually hit enter. It shows you screenshots <laughs> as you go back. So I just went back and read the hint he gave me and Pretty then cool. stayed where I was. That switches are so cool. Yeah. No, it's super cool to have that to have that functionality. Uh, and, like, having save states really helped uh, with the Gygus fight and stuff. Because every time you lose a Gygus, you, ha- you have to go again through the hardest area yeah. in the game. And that's difficult. Yeah, and, like, just it's different from games back in the day, right? Like, the amount of games we can play right now we want to play right now is preposterous yes. right and like before they're just like no, i got earthbound for the summer exactly and so like I, yeah i have things to do so i'm glad that i have a rewind function but i'm also super glad that i don't have to go on the internet and look up 
what to do next in this quest line. Like, I have to do with every fucking Dark Souls game constantly. Yeah. You know? And, and honestly, like, it keeps happening in Final Fantasy. I'll be like, where the fuck am I supposed to go? Yeah. And it's just like, do you talk to that guy in the well? No, I didn't talk to the guy in the well. Yeah. And Earthbound, you know, they don't need map markers. They give you a, they give you a map, but you largely don't use it, you know? Mm-hmm. That's another thing that's in your inventory constantly is your map. And honestly, I should have just put it away at some point. Um, yeah, I thought about it, never did. Yeah. Uh, but there's always a hint guy. You can just go to the hint guy, and he'll just tell you what to do next. And that's fine. That's great. That's a great method of making sure players don't get lost in your weird world. Uh, so Earthbound is um, 10 out of 10. It's one of the best games I've ever played. I, I love everything about it. Like, I, I, I love all the thought and care that went into it. Uh, and to me, it is... It is really the epitome of what i want from indie games and i i really want to carry that that thread through and do it justice for the rest of this indie block this also is really great too because i think it's really demonstrating compared to the last of us 2 i I like our last of us 2 podcast it's very funny in the end ross made a very good outro for last of us 2 but if you listen to how we sound at the end the end of last of us 2 we're like we just want to stop i feel like we made like a pretty good like ending point and then we're just like yeah more Earthbound stuff, though. Yeah, we just kind of, like, reminisced and looked into the sky. Because, you just, I'm, like, I don't want to shelf it away. Like, I want to, you know, I want to do with Heavy Rain, and I wanted to do with Last of Us, too. Yeah. It's like, once I'm done talking, I never have to talk about it again. And now I'm kind of like, I can always talk about Earthbound. Yeah. And you can already see from the from the timestamps that, like, we talked, like, at least an hour more than about Heavy Rain than we did about this game. But that's because Heavy Rain is so fucking bad that there's just an endless amount of things to say. <laughs> also, this, ga- this game, it it centers you. And it brings out the good stuff. And that's like all you want to talk about. And I feel like we've said that. So Also, I made a lot of graphs for Heavy Rain. <laughs> I, I, had to, I, had, I had to have my work seen um, or heard. So, in the interest of respecting our, our listeners' time. Oh, you want to do a lightning round? Uh, it, it doesn't hit anyone. <laughs> riding in the front seat of a train car. Heard that's it. That's our show. <laughs> yeah. uh, I always do that. See, the joke is funny because lightning doesn't hit Pete. You might remember it from our yeah. Like, like, there's only the there's only we're we're in a one v one right now. There's I know. No chance lightning hits. I know the garage is going like driving in the front seat of the car, like <laughs> slowly drowning this out. But thanks for listening. Next week, next month, we're doing Undertale. Uh, check us out on socials. There'll be in the description. You can always find us. I am still on Twitter for yeah. for as long as Twitter exists, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and maybe by February, one of us will figure out a hive or a mastodon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hopefully, I, I do. When you go to fight gods, but none of them live up to it. And all of them give up. Does that make you feel better? Up to is better than you are.